Hello and welcome to the WCW vs. NWO podcast. The podcast that analyzes, dissects, and diamond cutters out of nowhere, one of the most important errors in wrestling history. This week we're going to take a close look at World War III 1996. And of course, in a battle royale situation like that, you can't go in without a strategy, you can't go in without a team. And I got two of the best right beside me. First off, Fergus, how are you keeping? I'm pretty good, I'm pretty good. I'm uh, not looking forward to talking about this, but you know, <laughs> could be worse. Yeah, I, I, I've never actually seen a World War Tree. I'm a big fan of the Royal Rumble, WWF days, some of my favorite matches of all time. But this was uh, this was different. This was different mm. to say the least. Yeah, we'll, we'll save it. We'll save it for for later. <laughs> and my other teammate, hopefully he doesn't go into business on his own. We got Connor. How are you doing, Connor? I'm doing great. Yeah, I was really looking forward to this pay per view mainly just because there was not a Hogan match on the card. I was like, oh, how bad this could this be? But <laughs> I should I should not have gotten my hopes up. However, though. Yeah. Yeah, we 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 started this endeavor with wanting to be really impartial about WCW, and I think we still are. But man, I. It's pretty hard for some of these pay-per-views to say nice things. I, I want to say nice things, but it, but it is it is getting hard. I'll, I'll say a nice thing. I think World War Three is a, it's a cool name for a pay-per-view. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, it stops there though. It's like Fall Brawl. Yeah. It's like a cool concept that's on paper, but in actuality, it's very terrible to watch. Yeah, I, I can agree there. We're we're, we're not going to mince any words here. A couple important things happened in Nitro this week, so let's jump right into the Nitro recap. Welcome to the new, new, new edition of the Nitro Recap. We are live as live can be, chronicling the past month of Monday Night Nitro. Guys, I am shocked. There have been no spray paints this month. So what the hell has the NWO been up to, you might ask? Well, Hollywood Hogan's been insulting Rowdy Rowdy Piper while managing to fit in his plugs for Santa with muscles. (laughs) Meanwhile, Eric Bischoff has been struggling to negotiate a contract with Piper for the match at Starcade. Scott Hall and Kevin Nash were involved in three actual promos, one of which the Outsiders were trying to recruit Diamond Dallas Page into the NWO. Will he join? We will hear from DDP later on. Sting is now taking it to the rafters. He had a run-in during a Chris Benoit-Jeff Jarrett match, giving the Scorpion Death Drop to Jarrett. Also during the go-home show of Nitro, Sting walks in with a baseball bat after a Lex Luger victory over Hugh Morris. He then points the bat at Luger, hands him the bat, and walks off. Is this a passing of the torch for being the leader of WCW? Well, Lex will try to figure that out while continuing his hot streak. But the main segment that we need to talk about happened later on in the Go Home episode of Nitro. Piper interrupts Eric Bischoff, telling the fans he's been working on the contract. After Piper berates Bischoff for a few minutes, the NWO swarm Piper, and we have the newest member of the NWO revealed. That man is Eric Bischoff. Now that everybody realizes who everybody's working for. I mean, my God, this guy here was the foundation of the WCW. Now he works for the NWO. I'll tell you what, stand him up, but watch him, watch him real close. Hey, you know something, Piper? You're a loser fighting a losing battle. You have never been anything in the wrestling business. And until you wrestled me, Piper, nobody even knew your name. Now, Rowdy Roddy Piper 
is such a coward, he won't even sign a contract to wrestle me. And since you won't get in the ring with me, Piper, you will never be anything, my man. As far as the reveal to get heat for the match, I thought this segment was actually surprisingly like effective and actually decent. Too bad that Sarcade wasn't the next pay-per-view, but I guess this was to kind of force Piper to get the contract ready. I've never been too sure what to think of kind of heel Eric and his his turn in general and the timing of his turn. It never made much sense to me because he's kind of, they, they refer to him as the boss of WCW a bunch. Why he just goes to boss of NWO. I guess one is cool. From a real life perspective, one is just cooler than the other one. I also think DiBiase does a really good job in the past of pay-per-views and the weeks building up to this stuff of being like the mouthpiece and kind of the de facto boss or I guess Hogan, Hogan is the boss, but. Yeah, it makes sense that like your the NWO was like using money as like the rise like to power for the NWO as well. It makes a yeah. little bit more sense than Bischoff. Yeah, it's just I think DBS was doing such a good job, and we'll see in the upcoming weeks. I think it happens after this pay per view. It might happen after Starcade, but DBS just has to take a massive back step because there's now two people doing the exact same job in the NWO kind of mouthpieces slash you know I'll come out instead of people. To talk to you, I'll come out instead of contract signings. I'll I'll give notice to faces. So I I, I want to let it develop. I, I don't want to prejudge this because I know I have a dislike for Eric Bischoff in general. He does come off super smarmy. He is very good at coming off really smug, and that makes you hate him. That's great. You you want to hate your heels. We're gonna see him in the pay per view, and my God, do you want to punch him in the pay per view as well? So. <laughs> It's effective yeah, so, heel. Yeah. yeah, Gus, it's like it's kind of hard not to compare Bischoff to other heel general managers since it's just been like done to death in wrestling yeah. these days. But like, should we be giving props to WCW for being like the first to make this move on the big stage? It probably is pretty much the first guy. Like Vince is isn't for another year. Actually, now that I think of it, there is an example of Vince performing as himself in a heel persona, and that's during 92, 93. But it's not on WWF. It's part of the USWA. He enters into a relationship with Jerry Lawler. Because Lawler is the owner of USWA at the time, I believe. This is how Lawler ends up getting hired. This is why we're responsible for Lawler as an announcer for the last 30 plus years. But back then, they decide to do like a kind of pseudo-invasion angle. And Vince gets to be the bad guy. So he gets to do his heel chops but other than that, I'm pretty sure Eric is the first one to do it on national TV. So, uh, yeah, he probably has to get the props. But it's a bit abrupt for me, I guess, is the only thing I have a problem with. They really don't do an awful lot of build for it. And then he's just the boss. I do agree as well, because it's being billed as a match for the next month. That kind of takes a little bit away from it as well. I, I like him as a heel. I think he's good. He doesn't do commentary after this. I Spoilers, I haven't looked at like ahead at all. This is like the first time I haven't looked ahead. I, if he doesn't commentate anymore, this is a win-win for me. <laughs> There's so many similarities with the McMahon stuff there. I know McMahon hadn't been on commentary for a while before he turned heel, right? But I think people had the exact same sentiment. Like, yeah, he's a really good heel on TV. And this means he's probably never going to commentate again. So, yay. <laughs> Two pluses. I, I, I do have to echo uh, Gus' sentiment. If you were going to always turn Eric, which seemed when it took off from the backstage rumblings, Eric always wanted to be part of it. 
It seems like you could have done it at a better storyline period. Just doing it in the middle of these nitros. It's not actually building World War 3 in any way. It's building Starcade somewhat. But I don't think Starcade needed that additional build. You already have this new wrestler coming into your company. Attacking the established champion and his stable. You already got this number games and all these layers to that feud. Why does Eric need to flip sides now? Why could that not be saved for a major storyline down the line? There's probably a better way of doing it, but it's better off being talked about when we get to Starcade and what happens after Starcade, so I won't go into it now. But there's definitely a better way of doing it. Overall, I thought this segment was probably better than it actually is, as like if I were to like watch it out of the context, but like the previous episodes of Nitro were so forgettable, including the Nitro where they aired Piper's entire music video. I mean, apparently <laughs> Piper made music. That, that was a thing. It's it's so shitty. If if you wanna have some fun, watch that. And have a have a good laugh. Well, that will conclude our Nitro recap for this episode. Next up, World War Three, nineteen ninety six. So we get dropped into World War Three. We, we've commented there hasn't been a lot of these in the past, but there's a nice vignette that just covers what's going to happen in the matches, what matches are we getting for this pay-per-view, which I'm always kind of mixed about them. It's nice now that we're looking back to get filled in. And it makes it stand kind of the test of time. I don't need to look at the nitros to know. But people have presumably already bought this pay-per-view. Why are they being told about the matches, I guess? I'm always in that frame of mind. What do you guys think about uh, stuff like that? Well, there's a clear distinction of like a storyline promo. And this was more just like a commercial ad. It was like a monster truck ad, like World War Three, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Yeah, no, I I completely agree there. It it didn't get me hyped. It just informed me of what was happening. And if that was on, I wouldn't be surprised if you told me that was the promo they were running on commercials or in nitros. Yeah, it's just lazy. Yeah, Yeah, and I mean, they don't do any other work to kind of inform you about what's going on after this. I don't think this is intentionally like, here's what's going on. Because as we'll see, they do drop in people and things that if you haven't been watching Nitro, it makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah, after that, we get the regular kind of roundup by the crew. They explain to us, uh, they they talk, uh, I know Dusty's very high on Piper. He is through most of this pay-per-view will he doesn't shut up about piper what the fuck (laughs) he does not shut up about piper the 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 funny thing is and it doesn't happen now we'll see it later now is an appropriate time to talk about piper but he has literally asked questions about what's happening in matches during the rest of the pay-per-view and he'll say you know it's be all and end all i'm like what's he talking about Piper versus Hogan. I mean, no one asked you about Piper versus Hogan, Dusty. <laughs> Stay to the match. <laughs> it's like he's been given like a script and he's gone, okay, we just need to make sure you do one thing, Dusty. Talk about Roddy. Okay, okay, sir, I can do that. I can do that. <laughs> There's a couple of things I want to talk about about the beginning of this. Like, first, we got to mention their suits. 
So we have oh. no prom suits. So we just oh, have regular outfits. Dusty, though. Dusty's is so good. You it's can pick him out of a crowd. A red cap leather. Like, it, it, unbelievably good. There was a very important line I noted. Is that Tony acknowledges that there's NWO fans. The, the previous pay-per-views, it's been NWO are despicable heels. WCW are the clear good guys. But this is starting to blur the lines of what's good and bad. And Tony doesn't say, we're here in front of WCW fans. It's like, we're here in front of... Horseman fans, Dungeon of Doom fans, NWO fans, WCW fans. So he acknowledges that both sides have their following. It's hard not to acknowledge it with how much the crowd love the NWO, but it's it's nice that they're leaning into it. Yeah, there's a line that he says that you really shouldn't have later on the pay-per-view that I'll, I'll point out. That it's, oh, it's, yeah. I remember why I didn't like Tony Schiavone. <laughs> uh, what I was going to point out was uh, how the area is set up. Yeah. Really odd. Like, I get that there's three rings, but particularly the way the announcers are set up, which will come into play at least once on the night, because they're sitting directly on the apron almost. To give people a visual, there's three staggered rings, so it's almost like a triangle of rings. How how to best describe it? Ring one is in line with ring three, with ring two slightly below them. I guess that's the best way to describe it. Yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah, it's like a mouth and two eyes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It is like a mouth and two eyes. And all their corners are touching. So it's a very weird setup. So we'll jump into the first match and we get Ultimo Dragon with uh, Sonny Ono versus Rey Mysterio. And uh, Ultimo Dragon's, what, what do we want to call it? The eight crown? Championship, I think, is what they refer to it. The J Crown. That's the official title of that smorgasbord of uh, belts. Yeah, so many belts that he can't hold them. That's why Sonny's with him to hold most of the titles. I noted that uh, Ultimo's team song is like very cheerful, like very face like for the pay per view. What did you guys think? Uh, Dave, I'm pretty sure if you played it, I wouldn't be able to tell if it was his or not. But but that's WCW music, so. Yeah, okay. Yeah, re- really forgettable, but at least he tells you that he's the heel that he has, like, with, like, green lipstick or, like, yeah. he has black a, teeth. He yeah. has the mist. He has the mist coming out of his uh, teeth. It's really sweet. Yeah. yeah. He looks awesome in friends. And, of course, massive ovation for Ray as he comes out. He's, I think he's quick becoming a fan favorite. I think that shows later. He, he's all, These two are also going to be involved in the in the World War Three match. Yeah, kind of randomly. I have a thing about the belts particularly one belt because this uh it's it's a whole grouping of cruiserweight belts basically and they staged a tournament in japan ultimo wasn't the first guy to win it he won it off uh, the great sasuke but one of the belts is a world wrestling federation belt that is randomly uh, it's the light heavyweight belt and it's like defunct in the company but some other company takes it and uses it and then it becomes <laughs> part of the tournament. So technically, there's a WWF belt on a WCW program in 1996. I wonder if WCW like did this intentionally. I'd love to give them credit for it, but I really don't think they knew. <laughs> yeah, it, would, it wouldn't surprise me either way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I just thought it was really interesting that there's randomly, it's just the WWF belt is part of that. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's not, what's not awesome for this match is we have no Mike Tanay. Yeah. We really needed Mike today for this match. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and it's strange. I thought Mike might just be missing for this. You know, he does a lot of their hotline stuff. We get six commentators for the uh, World War Three at the end of the pay-per-view, and Mike happens to be one of them. So it's like they arrested Mike for <laughs> for the match for some reason. Save I have no idea. For the important bit, yeah. 
Yeah, but the commentary, it immediately derails. I mean, Dusty, he goes on and on about, like, the NWO and Piper. And then, like, there's just silence. And he's like, Bob? And Bobby's like, what? I, I got two key phrases by Dusty. And one of them, uh, one of them has to be the one I have written down here. It, one of them is they a flip they flip flopping and a flying, which is isn't the worst, but it's that's a weird way to say it, Dusty. And kick him to the belly welly. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's both of mine. <laughs> is, is what he says. He has more later too. It's, it, it keeps coming. Yeah, he goes back to the well on belly welly multiple times in this pay per view. That's a very weird way to say that, Dusty. Why did you not just say his stomach? That was unnecessary. But we'll get in, we'll get into the actual match, which we start off uh, with just some good chain wrestling from both guys. We have uh, Ultimo taking control of, I would say, a large majority of the match. I think they're making the typical Ray is the not the underdog, but Ray is beaten for a lot of the match, and I think this is the most beaten I've seen Ray ever. He takes multiple tombstones, one of them to the outside. He's taking splashes. He's taking a bunch of hard power bombs. The the tombstone as well I've noted here is a jumping tombstone because nothing says one of the most dangerous moves in wrestling like adding a jump to it. Is there any is there any of these power spots that jump out in your mind, uh, Gus? I had one in particular, but it was towards the end of the match. He follows up a power bomb into a guillotine straight onto the top of the rope, and it just looks like he almost takes Ray's head off. Ultimo is so much more aggressive than you've seen him before, as we saw on Hogwild, and he shows up on a Nitro once or twice, and he seems way more motivated and interested this time, and I think he does a really, really great job, and Ray is just a great babyface. He's able to take a lot of punishment, but it's always kind of believable that he has it in him to come back, so uh, yeah, I love this. It's a great match. Absolutely great. How about you, Connor? Again, a lot of power offense by Dragon. Uh, there was a lot of flinchy moments for me. Is there anything that stuck out in your mind? Oh, definitely. I love the Cesaro spot. I don't know if that's like it's not really his own move, but he's kind of what he's known for when you when you swing people. I don't know if there are any other like wrestlers really did that spot. Uh, I did love that both men are dizzy and they fall. Usually, it's just like yeah. one guy that falls from being dizzy. I love that we are just the overall pace is what like really impressed me about this match. A lot of the other matches are really really slow, but this one's like. It, it felt like they had a purpose to get out there and cram as much stuff as they could. Um, the tombstones were obviously like the, the big part. I do I do have to point out one botch by Ray where he does a split leg moonsault. He catapults from one rope to another and does a split leg moonsault. And it's the start of his uh, baby face comeback in the middle of the match and he misses. Now they act like he hits. He goes for the near fall. He gets to two. But it's pretty clearly a miss. And unfortunately, if you didn't see that he missed, the commentary team were very insistent that he missed a move <laughs> well he still went for the two count and yeah then, i love how bobby's like oh i missed it and then tony's like oh how come my monitor never goes out i love that that was a callback from a previous pay-per-view <laughs> yeah uh the other thing that the commentators did that was a bit wacky in this one was so this went on in ring number one and the commentary team are seated right at the apron of ring number two so their back is kind of to the wrestlers when they go to the outside and Dusty was fascinated by this because they're, they're watching. They're watching on monitors. He's like, "Who's the guy in the red suit?" Like, yeah. You're not a dog seeing yourself in the mirror, Dusty. Like you know how monitors work. But they were, Dusty was very excited that they were behind him and he could see them, even though he wasn't turned around. So we get a nice comeback from Ray coming to the end of the match. Classic kind of babyface stuff. 
Every now and again, Ultimo will put him back down with a big move, but Ray keeps coming, keeps coming. And I, I really like the finish, which is Ray goes from his uh, springboard Rana from the outside. He gets caught into the, a powerbomb, but Ultimo uses the top rope to bounce Ray off of and then do a sit-out sit powerbomb. I don't think anyone takes a powerbomb as well as Ray does. It's just so easy to ragdoll him around. That end, that finish is prime meat. Uh, it's it's excellent. I think we had the same spot in the Super Cowl match. Yeah, and it wasn't a finish. You're you correct. Yeah. Another awesome opener from Rey Mysterio. Like, the match didn't drag at all. Like I said, the pace was so good. Uh, apart from that one goof up that Dave mentioned. Like, Dragon, yeah. I guess, maybe had a little too much offense for my liking. But other- otherwise, like, I thought Dragon looked a lot better. Much better effort. Maybe it was, like, him holding all these belts that, like, made him seem m- much like a bigger deal. I know he wrestled Dean... I think it might have been last week, so he's definitely getting a, a bigger push in WCW. And it's just like nice to see wrestlers actually put in work for a match, unlike what we're, what we're going to see for the rest of the pay-per-view. But uh, <laughs> yeah, overall, both wrestlers over in this match, it much improved from their Hogwild match. Oh, 100%. I, I'm so pumped after this match. Man, was I disappointed. <laughs> okay, after this match, we get... Uh... Mean Gene Oakland back in his interviewing capacity, but before he interviews DDP, we get an introduction to WCWWrestling.com. This is wonderful. This was essentially, welcome to the internet, yeah. <laughs> everybody. Welcome to the world of tomorrow. <laughs> Look at how shitty screen caps are in the 90s. Yeah. yeah. And be sure to log on soon so you can listen to the audio cast of our pay-per-view. <laughs> not, not even a video just the audio imagine poor people who paid for the audio cast back then uh so we we get this quick terrible look into the past then we get uh ddp out for an interview gene asks him about the nwo trying to recruit him page bats it away but gene insists he says you know what don't worry about bischoff i won the battle ring and i'm gonna win world war three and I, ddp Probably underrated for his interview skills. I think he's quite decent at these concise kind of... Maybe maybe I just don't get to hear good interviews much anymore. Because this is what I watch. It was concise and decent. Yeah, he did a good job of putting himself over. Putting the importance on the match that he's in. And saying what's going on. Whilst also still kind of vaguely addressing what uh, Mean is on about. Also, like, Mean has to be one of the longest tenured announcers, and his quote at the end of, like, I don't think he answered my question. (laughs) Gene, I think you should know by now, this is a bit silly. (laughs) Of course he didn't answer. But yeah, it was totally fine. It was nice and short as well. Yeah, he got a lot across in a couple sentences, which is is perfect. He's kind of half involved in a feud. We'll see him and Eddie go at it in the Battle Royale a bit, but the show isn't really about him. He's getting some Nitro segments about... The outsiders trying to recruit him. But there's, there's no blow off at this pay-per-view. There's no need for him to go on to any large extent. We go into match two, which is maybe a five-star. I think there's a potential for a five-star match coming up. I don't know. It's Chris Jericho <laughs> versus Nick Patrick. And this is given about eight minutes. This is a continuation from the last pay-per-view where Chris Jericho felt like Nick Patrick cost him the match. During the Nitros, Patrick is costing some of Teddy Long's clients matches which is why teddy long accompanies jericho to the ring they get a beef the stipulation to this match is jericho has to have a hand tied behind his back you guys definitely this was the match you were looking forward to right well after seeing nick patrick's like outfit i i really got up for it (laughs) yeah so who wore it better guys mark marrow or nick patrick hmm I, I think Nick Patrick. I've been, I've been yeah. impressed with his wardrobe ever since. I, I think I asked Nick Patrick. Probably more fruitful career. 
than poor, poor Mark Merrow. Yeah, he has like the boxer outfit, like no sleeves. He's got the sunglasses. He's looking all mean. I love it. Yeah, so Nick, Nick, Nick I think he hams it up perfectly for this. He looks, I don't think there's any doubt in anyone's mind left when he's coming to the ring. He is the bad guy. He's had his attorney come out for uh, interviews with him during Nitros. He is playing his part really well. And this is just, as silly of a match as it is, it's there to make the crowd pop. And I think they do a pretty good job of that. They have You have Jericho on the offensive for most of it. Anytime Jericho gets a couple offensive moves in, usually the formula is Nick will throw a punch or do something. Jericho will knock him off his feet and Nick will roll to the outside of the ring to buy time. Nick actually does a pretty good job. I'll give him credit. He does a pretty good job. He's a trained wrestler of taking the exaggerated bumps and making Jericho look like he's the strongest man in the universe. We get a bit of cat and mouse, as I said. Jericho runs to the outside, accidentally punches the turnbuckle instead of Nick. We get the build-up where, hey, maybe can Nick win, but then Nick is thrown off the top turnbuckle. He eats a super kick, and that's all she wrote. One of the pieces of commentary I wanted to point out from this is I think Brain, in general, for this whole pay-per-view is pretty decent. As bad as Dusty is, but Brain starts to call out things that Nick Patrick could do to win the match. And the first ones are logical. He's like, stand on his hand, like separate his fingers. He only has what one hand if you injured the other one he can't win and then he said blind the man which one is really severe and full of malice but two even if the man had two hands blinding him would be an effective way to win a match anyway so i i don't know what that's got to do with a man's hand being tied behind his back Uh, also slight note i'm always a bit cringy with these matches i know this sounds so stupid but you have to take so many bumps on your back and the way they tie the hand directly behind the back it feels like if you would bump slightly wrong, you'd separate a shoulder. If you pay attention to to Dave, his hand is loose enough that he's kind of just holding that rope. Oh, yeah, okay. he mentioned that in his book. I actually didn't notice, actually. Yeah, I, I saw it a couple of times because it looks like he's he's almost posing sometimes. Yeah. Where his hand is just off at the side and he's just holding onto the rope mostly instead of it actually being tied behind his back. It's okay. not as bad as you think. That makes a lot of sense. That, that will make me cringe less when I see this stipulation again. Did you guys like the attempt at the test of strength spot? <laughs> I, like I did enjoy that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it might have been too jokey, but I, I, got a, I got a laugh out of it. I think Nick Patrick kind of sells the match nicely. I mean, he is a trained wrestler. He, his, his selling was a little bit overselling at some points, but I thought he dialed it back at some points, and this spot was a, a, a nice way to bridge that gap of... Being like, ha, I have the power in this match. Yeah, yeah, I, I really did enjoy that too. I, I, as I said, I think Nick, he did his job as well as he could do his job, I think, in this match. What, what did you think of this match, Connor? I mean, match was kind of lame, but I mean, it's nice to have a comedy match on the pay-per-view. Like, I was afraid after Bash the Beach and Hogwild that we would just, like, have way too many gimmick matches on the podcast. But WCW is thankfully showing a little restraint. <laughs> what, what about you, Gus? Any, anything pop you from this match? Not really. I um, I did not enjoy this match at all. I don't mind comedy. Like I, it's it's fine. Everything has its place, and it, that was okay about it. But it wasn't too long, thankfully. I think it probably suffers because there's another kind of comedy esque thing later, almost a similar kind of reason. So they kind of overload it in that way. It, it's such a waste of Chris Jericho at the moment. But at the same time, he's so bland. And he has no character that can't really do much else with him. Yeah, I can agree on that. It is neither performer's fault for what the match is, is, is what, what I'll say. So after after the match, we get a quick recap 
We know we're not going to get either Rowdy or Hogan in the matches, but Rowdy does have the contract. He has the contract with him. He wants Hogan to sign it for the big match at Starcade. And the commentators talked us up again, especially Dusty with his one job with his, he's a dog with a bone for this whole pay-per-view. And that bone is Rowdy Roddy Piper has a contract. Uh, we'll go to my uh, my being mad at the yes, internet Dave. segments not being <laughs> as zany as they should be. We get a buff Bagwell before he's buff. Just simple Mark Bagwell, I think, is at the time. I think Marcus. Marcus Alexander. Marcus. Yeah, Marcus Alexander Bagwell. He's not even buff. Just answering questions like a normal person to an internet whoa, whoa, nerd. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It can't be normal. He's topless. <laughs> as, as normal as a wrestler ever is. <laughs> But every single other person in the shot is wearing clothes. And Bagwell, Bagwell's just topless by himself. It makes absolutely no sense for him to be there like that. Like and they he, shot it from the opposite way too. Come yeah. on. I assume that Buff has never had a top on in his like, entire life. But he's not even wearing ring gear. Like It's not like he's wearing the gear that he gets into later for the main event. He's just wearing jeans. And then he's just decided not to wear a top for the for the spot. <laughs> Again, I think you overestimate how much Buff in real life has tops on. I think that's just his everyday life. I mean, when Buff has the stuff, you, you got to show it off. Like, so. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm not a fan of uh, Marcus's <laughs> wrestling, but I cannot wait for his Buff Bagwell character. It's a couple I, of months. I ago. can't. <laughs> Unfortunately, by the time he gets that character, he's ruined his neck which is it's a sad thing. Because he's actually an yeah. alright wrestler up until this point. That's fair. So we go from this into a Mean Gene segment again. This time Mean Gene's on the ramp and we get Flair who's still injured and this time he's wearing a sling. So a little, little bit less strutting this time but still plenty of strutting for Flair. And we'll let you listen to some of the interview yourself. You and I go back a long, long time. I remember when you broke in at the training camp of the great Vern Gagne. And I have followed your careers for 20-some odd years. It has been a great career. And right now, there's a lot of questions that are being asked of WCW. And there are a lot of questions being asked of you, Ric Flair. Mean Gene! Woo! Hello. We are in Norfolk, Virginia, and we are live! The theme of the event tonight is World War III, but in reality, it's WCW Tour. Woo! Now, being caught up in the emotion of the moment, let me make it very clear that Hollywood Hulk Hogan and NWO are entitled to walk their own way in life. But when it comes down to wrestlers like Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, The Stinger, Lex Luger, The Steiners, Benoit McMichael, the list is endless. We represent W by God, CW. Thank you. It's about time somebody stepped up to the plate. And even though 
The Nature Boy is temporarily incapacitated. I promise you, the wrestling public, that before it's all said and done, the Nature Boy, hold on, hold on. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Here he comes. And the NWO will belong to the WCW. Thank you. The first one's on me. So, me and Gene, I don't think Achi has ever had a question answered. I don't know why he doesn't just hold the mic and let them talk. Because Flair doesn't make any semblance of a suggestion that he'll answer the question. But he does a really good job of talking up WCW. At the end of a couple of the pay-per-views, it feels like a bit of a WCW pity party. And like they don't have a chance. With Flair, it's almost like a bit of a declaration of war. Flair is hyping up the people left there to fight. And why WCW instead will own the NWO instead of the other way around. So it makes it feel like a bit of a contest. Do you guys think this is a Flair classic or just a bit of a throwaway? Flair classic. He stops mid-sentence. To do the flare strut. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking amazing. <laughs> it's a good promo, Dave. And he does, he gets a nice bit to add to the story. Starts sucking up to Sting a little bit and be like, oh, maybe we made a mistake. You should come back kind of thing. Like, come on, let's fight the good fight. No, I really loved it. I really enjoyed this. And I mean, I better enjoy it while I have it because he probably won't be on very much for the next couple of months. This, I think this is a decent use of him. I, I think Fergus is right into the future. We're not going to see as much of him, which is a shame. The next match is his boy, Jeff Jarrett, and he doesn't come out. His boy? Jeff, his boy. His boy. Uh, he oh, do- oh, I forgot to mention that. He does not mention Jarrett and all the WCW guys that he rails off. That, that yeah. is true, yeah. <laughs> I think he's already distancing himself from a bad product. <laughs> I think I think Jeff is not has not shown himself to be fantastic in any capacity yet. The commentators do say that, you know, he's Flair's guy. But it is very weird that Flair just doesn't come to the ring again. There, there wasn't a stipulation. They didn't say, you know, people banned from ringside because of what happened at the last pay-per-view. He just decides not to come out. And he's Jeff gets none of the horsemen out, even though he's supposed to be like an honorary horseman at this stage or whatever. It seems like weird half booking. They like half put everything they had into Jeff. We, we go from Rick's interview right into the match where one of the supposed horsemen's in. We get rematch of Jeff Jarrett versus the Giant. Giant comes out from the crowd like uh, like he did the last pay-per-view. He still has the U.S. title. Commentary makes sure to let us know that that U.S. title is still not the Giants. It's now vacant, technically. Rick has not defended it for 30 days, according to the laws. It's vacant, but it's not Giants belt. We also get Jeff Jarrett out to my least favorite music in the whole company. <laughs> this pure country, throwing those peace signs. The stage dusty lets us know that uh, Jeff Jarrett is known as the Giant Killer. My question to that is, since when? Since <laughs> when, Dusty? Don't, don't be making these random claims. Jeff also gets Pyro, so they're obviously a little behind Jeff, and they think that he could be a big thing, but yet they don't have the Horseman coming out with him. We get just some early aggression from Jeff, and we get some weaving and bobbing and Giant cutting him off and some classic kind of cat and mouse stuff. I, I, I really like a spot from Giant where... Jared goes to clothesline him in the corner. Giant is in the corner. And Giant just pushes him off with his boot. And I don't mean just puts his foot up for a big boot. Jared jumps, kind of lands on Giant's boot, which he's left out. And he 
like leg presses him across the ring, which I thought kind of looked impressive. And not much going on in this match. Commentary mentions that Hogan has got giant a jingle all the way cameo which i had to actually go back and look he is a giant santa claus that fights arnold schwarzenegger yeah it was, it was the scene where they fight all the santas yeah so you guys <laughs> do not have to youtube that you can thank me later is there anything connor you saw in this match that got your eye at all uh not too much uh <laughs> paul white's movie career actually got me more interested in uh than most of the match but there, there are a few things luckily we didn't have to see the strut from Jarrett. Jarrett just kind of goes right after the giant so we dodged the strut um Giant misses the Vader bomb. That was... Paul White's taking some decent bumps for this match. Yeah, Paul Paul's still in his early career. You know, we, we can have a lot of uh, criticisms about him. But he tries things. He gets lazy later on in his career for sure. But he is trying things. Misses with the Vader bomb. Commentary also misses that a Vader bomb is attempted. Because at this stage, the crowd goes nuts. Because we see Sting up in the raf- uh, rafters. He comes down to the ring. Because... Well, go to the finish, or there's not much to say about this match. Is there anything you'd like to add? Uh, yeah, I was going to say there was so little in it that the crowd were easily distracted by Sting appearing miles up above them, and they never really get back into this match. I, like, they try to do this kind of like David versus Goliath style, and it just doesn't work. Nothing really happens for me. Nobody believes in Jared is the problem. I, nobody no. really thinks that he's a good guy. There's a lot of pops for uh, the Giant. Like, there's people are kind of into him he's a big dude he does something really spectacular and he's in the cool group and it's the cool group is starting to get a bit of bit of traction i think now like after that that's about it i would go straight to the finish it's largely due to sting and sting himself because he he has a problem with jared for some reason yeah he has a problem with jared we we thought that uh we we had to look over this we weren't too sure but jared has called him out for being a coward during nitros we think and he comes down uh, as gus pointed out we see him up in the ra- uh, rafters, but it takes him a while to get down. But the, the match is so bland that the crowd are just popping for him and the commentary are popping for him. While the match is still going on for another minute and a half, the crowd and the commentary miss a pretty cool Vader bomb by Giant, which would have been a nice spot for them to commentate on. So Jeff knocks Giant out of the ring. There's a very quick count. Jar- Jared is standing there like an ass, counting with the referee. And he gets Scorpion that. Uh, that dropped from behind. I think Sting is the king of mediocre finishes that look really good when he does them. I'm actually a fan of the Scorpion that drop, though. It is just a reverse DDT done with a little more malice, I guess. Yeah, certain wrestlers, they just have the flair to do certain moves that just make it look great. I mean, The Rock, the people's elbow, it's the, the dumbest move ever, but <laughs> he's down, drop, yeah. only he can make it look awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I agree. So another cheap win for the Giant, who should probably be winning matches by himself and being pushed still a little bit he at least he gets the choke slam this time you know jared's jared was like oh i didn't get choke slammed ha 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 it's not how you measure success in wrestling mr jared yeah so giant comes back into the ring big old choke slam so this is paul white at his strongest holding up jared single-handedly the guy basically doesn't jump and he gets him right up there which i thought was kind of impressive and choke slam one two three win for Giant and the NWO to start there. I think they have four matches altogether. No, they only have three. Three, three yeah. Three, because he holds up four fingers for some reason after the match, but that's wrong. I thought it was just that was referencing four horsemen. Yeah. Oh, maybe. Yeah, that makes more sense that they're taking out horsemen. But he's like one down, three to go. So is he? do they just want to take out the horsemen gradually? I don't know. <laughs> that, one of those things. Either he's bad at maths or we're bad at interpreting what he's talking about. Do you guys have anything else to say about this match or we can can we go on to the contract? 
At least it was short. Yeah. I thought Jarrett sold the moves nicely. And <laughs> you're really stretching yourself here. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Commentary mentioned that this was the second time Stang did this to Jarrett. I don't know why we had to run the same spot again on the pay-per-view or why we had to do it on Nitro, then the pay-per-view. And the crowd just didn't care. They focused too much on Sting. And he, when we say he like walked through the ra- like the crowd and the rafters, like that took a long time. It felt like it took a long time. And credit to Jarrett and Giant. I thought they timed it nice for how long it took Sting to get to the ring. Yeah, that's yeah. true, actually. That takes a, a bit of coordination to get right, especially with, like, how easy it can be to fuck something like that up. Ask Papa Shango. <laughs> or uh, Eddie's wife. Uh... <laughs> Where's Vicky? Vicky. Where the fuck is Vicky? <laughs> so, yeah, I, like you, Connor, I, I'm glad this was short, but there's not really much to say other than that. The Swiss Giant had better things to do than this. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm definitely on that. Like, he was so, they were pushing him so hard. And in all fairness to him, while he makes a lot of mistakes, you can tell at this stage in his career, he's trying hard, and he probably deserves a little better. So we go on from this uh, not nice and short match. This uh, this went for only six minutes, including everything. We get the Piper contract signing, I guess. We get Piper out with the contract. He comes out to the bagpipes, and in fairness, a pretty big pop. I like that the table kind of matches his kilt, but is a dark. I have this written down. Hat. Yes, but what the fuck is this? It's a red and white like grid tablecloth. What? <laughs> he, point, he points it out that it matches, but doesn't quite match. So there's someone in there uh, with the table already. Obviously, some kind of like middleman to make sure everything is signed properly. He does nothing. There's no reason for that man to be in the ring. But he kind of looks at him, shows him his kilt, and like points at the tablecloth to go. You know, how matching. Like why? Why did they? Why did he have to acknowledge that? <laughs> it just looks like a shitty like tablecloth you buy at like a grocery store for like two dollars too. Like what? <laughs> so he talks a bunch of dribble and he calls out Hogan. He has the contract. He wants Hogan to come out to sign it, but instead we get Bischoff, we get Virgil. What, what's what's Vin- his actual name here? Vincent. 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 We get Vincent. We get DiBiase. We think we get Giant, but Giant goes back to the back again. So I think I think that's the wrong cue for Giant because he does come out later. And we get Bischoff representing Hogan, and where Bischoff tells us that he has power of attorney. Mister Piper, I thought I'd let you know that. Uh, Hollywood's a little busy. Got a couple scripts just arrived, and he's back taking a look at them. He did, however, earlier today, give me his power of attorney. It's a business thing, you know. Oh, my goodness. It's an NWO thing. So I'm happy to take a look at whatever contract you have, and by the power vested in me, I'd be happy to sign for Mr. Hogan if it meets our requirements. So Bischoff, I think, misunderstands what power of attorney is. It's not an NWO thing. That's just a law thing, Bischoff. That's not something the NWO owns. Bischoff does a pretty good job of coming across super smarmy. It's so hard to comment on Piper interviews without missing anything. But he keeps shouting at Vincent that he taught him how to fight. Not sure if that's true. I know they've had angles where it was like, Vincent and Piper versus DiBiase and someone in WWE. Again, it's weird that they're referring to matches that aren't WCW matches. And then the most cringe-worthy thing is 
So it's very Attitude Era to attack another man's masculinity in wrestling. It's just something that happens at this stage. There's a lot of people that are pretty bad for it. And that's what starts happening. Piper, you know, he's asking, he's saying, you know, I've never had a manicure and stuff like that. But instead of skating around it, Piper just calls Bischoff gay in the middle of the interview in a pretty derogatory way. And I immediately recoiled that it's just really super cringy for two reasons. Numerous reasons. <laughs> yeah, but mainly I don't like slurs like that being used, or especially by good guys. Like, if you want to say, yeah. you know, it's a movie and you want to show kids what bad guys do, use language like that, I can understand it to an extent. But now I have to cheer for Hogan. And that's the cringiest part of it. I've never had to cheer for Hogan in a match in my life. And now I, <laughs> now I actively support Hogan for the match. Of course, after questioning Bischoff's masculinity a little bit more, Hogan comes out with the rest of the NWO and he starts questioning Piper and trying to make us doubt Piper. We get a point where he starts saying, show us your hip. And as we've said on the cast, Piper's got a pretty major hip surgery before this, but I'll let Hogan tell the rest. Piper, to me, looks outnumbered. <laughs> very, very badly. You know something, Piper? Oh, yeah, big man, I'm going to sign it. All right. But like I said, you got a real big problem, my friend. You know, I'm used to dealing with individuals that are my equal. I'm used to dealing with people in the ring that are number one contenders. I'm used to dealing with people that are up to my speed. And oh, yes, man. I'm going to sign that contract, but I just want everybody in here to realize that when you were my equal 10 years ago, you couldn't get it done. And now, my friend, since you're Mr. Self-Righteous, Mr. Up and Up, Mr. Big Man who's going to straighten out the whole world, show him the hip. Yeah, show him the hip, Piper. What does he mean here? Get that camera over here. Let me show the whole world what I've been talking about, Piper. Show him the hip. Wow. Huh? That scar. How about that, Red? Hey, you know something? I don't usually pick on cripples. Wow. Oh, for my... I don't usually pick on people that are like peg like Pete mm, mm. but since the whole world seems to like you my friend and since the whole world wants to see the war that didn't end the score oh yes my man it's gonna be my pleasure to sign this contract there it is and let me tell yeah. you Piper now that I've signed that contract, you, my friend, are not going to have a leg to stand on because I can't wait to beat up a gimp. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Get after him. He's going after Hogan. Get after him. He is sorely outnumbered here. This is when it gets... Super bad. I'm going to let one of you guys finish so what? people don't just hear my voice all the time. Bad? Yeah, bad. Yeah, I think it's really cringy. You think Hogan's promo is bad? No, I think what he does is really cringy and the words he uses are really cringy. I think Hogan's promo is really good here. Really? Because he brings uh, up some doubt in Piper. 
like he has an actual point Piper has been really really rambly and he doesn't make a lot of sense Piper doesn't even say Starcade. he just says do you have a pay-per-view in Nashville the 29th he doesn't say which month it is (laughs) Piper mixes metaphors and everything throughout the whole thing like Piper's awful and I don't I I do get that Hogan is more direct and he needs to be because when he wasn't with Piper in the last pay-per-view Piper went off the rails the problem is the language I don't like it for two reasons again it's cringy Showing a massive scar on the TV and, like, pulling up his kilt. Calling him a gimp, I think, is the big one for me. I know they're bad guys, and they're I'm more okay with bad guys using stuff like this, but it kind of skates for me. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe I am feeling something at the interview, and that is something I have definitely not felt while watching a lot of this stuff and watching a lot of Hogan stuff. It has not made me react, just made me bored, and this certainly isn't boring. So why don't you tell your side, Gus, so you're a fan of this? I, I just really, I like it because he sets up a, a point of doubt for Piper and it gives him something to, that he has to work on. Because up until this point, Piper is just this like really brash, arrogant guy. And Hogan is like, look, you th- you think you can beat me and you think you can do all these things. But you never really did it like you did it when you were much younger. And now look at you. You've had this hip surgery. You've had all this how can you expect to beat me now? It's a very different person you are. I'm still at to get at the top of my game. Like you only barely beat me when when we did wrestle before, all that kind of stuff. And I think it just it brings up some history, gives him a good job. Maybe the words are wrong. To be honest, I didn't really I didn't hear him say gimp. So I didn't really take that kind of like, oh, that was a bit of a weird way to go about that. But I think the premise of what he's getting across is much better, much clearer. And he holds up his end of the feud much better than Piper is doing. Piper almost seems like he's kind of drunk and isn't really sure where he is almost. <laughs> I can certainly agree with that the structure of the promo is what it needs to be. I sound so sensitive by saying this, but I don't appreciate the language used in it. And it, that's what makes it a bit cringy. So instead of focusing on the point, which is you're past it. I'm still in my prime, even though I'm old, you're, you're done. You've had to have surgeries. You're done. And that, that's the main point of the promo, and that, that's good. In fairness to Piper, as much as I've ragged on him so far, Piper sells it well. You can see the minute Hogan starts talking about his hip, his face drops. He's not arrogant anymore. He's not standing up to Hogan. He's like, yeah. oh, shit. Yeah, it's it's weird, Dave. I mean, maybe it's just so jarring just because this is WCW, and WCW is just very like family-friendly, and they just stick to the line of like, oh, you can stick it. You know, that's like the most family-friendly yeah, yeah, yeah. way of like insulting you, and then... And then this whole segment, you know, we have Piper saying Bischoff is gay, and then we have all, all these insults afterwards, so maybe that lessens the blow a little bit. I, I don't know. I, I thought it was effective, too, just because Hogan, yeah, as as kind of Gus said, his actions have been kind of consistent as well. He's such a chicken shit heel that is like, I'm just going to send Bischoff to talk to him first, and then I'll come out later. These tactics have been pretty consistent from Hogan uh, throughout. Of course, we get the whole NWO is in there, so we get an assault, we get the guy's holding Roddy down and then Hogan takes a chair shot to Roddy's hip. He tries to attack Hogan because, you know, he has that fighting spirit a couple times, but he's put down again and again. They all leave the ring and Roddy sells it very strongly. You know, he's struggling to get back up even though he still wants to fight. I think Roddy sells it well. And then when they've all left the ring, he picks up the mic and he says, you know, if that's the best you got, you're in trouble, which I think is actually a pretty good line. My biggest problem with this promo, why wasn't it on Nitro? Why is this on yep. a pay-per-view? My exact notes. Because the segment's about 17 minutes. It's yeah. so long. Yeah. 
like like Dave said, I, th- I thought Piper 7 was great, and re- we really tied it together after that kind of like rocky start and the rocky like promo from Halloween Havoc, and we really we, we got some momentum for, for Starcade, but we really hurt the momentum for this show, though, because the crowd is dead after this. I would hazard a guess that it's not on a Nitro because these guys probably get paid more for being on pay-per-views. And if Hogan and Piper weren't out for this, they weren't going to be out at all. Well, yeah, Hogan's poochie, Dave. <laughs> Hogan is. <laughs> and to an extent, they might be thinking, you know what, if we don't have a contract signing at the pay-per-view, our two top stars now won't be on the pay-per-view. So maybe that I can get behind that logic a bit. I still think there could have been a better use of both these men. But that's also the, the clumsy nature of this pay-per-view where you can't have either of them in a match, really, because you have this battle royale for the number one contender... So the main event for um, Starcade is already decided, so it's kind of hard to book Roddy in anything. I, I think, in fact, it would have been much more effective if Roddy had just won the Battle Royale at the end. I think it's much better booking if he comes back, gets in Hogan's face and tells him, I'm going to be in World War Three, and I'll see you at the main event of Starcade." And he would have won this Battle Royale where he wouldn't have to work much. He could just hide in the corner the whole thing and win the last little bit. I think that's way better booking than what they've done. And they've kind of booked themselves into a weird corner where they have to have Hogan and Piper come out and sign a contract or you just don't see them. Hello, everybody. It's your boy, Connor. I just wanted to let you know that at this point of the recording, Gus's laptop crapped out. But don't worry, the recording went just fine. Gus had to go to another room and use a different computer. He just sounds a little different, and he's recording in a different room, so just explaining that. With that out of the way, back to World War III. The other thing that I had about it probably is that Piper doesn't really care about the NWO. Uh, He's coming in to fight Hogan, and it has absolutely nothing to do with the the main plot that WCW has been talking about for the last three, three months or so. So it's a bit weird that they're kind of uh, sidetracking almost because like the NWO has been the biggest thing. Now I know he's feuding with the NWO, but he's not doing it for WCW. It's very, very personal. It's a bit odd to jam this in now and then he's going to be in the main event of Starcade. I thought that was a bit, it's a bit strange that the kind of motivations behind it as well. Yeah, he says multiple times that he just doesn't give a shit about WCW. And although the, the hip thing at least makes me sympathize him just a little bit. Yeah, it's kind of when faces make fun of faces and it just devalues both of them because it makes the face come off as less of a good guy and it makes the other face look weak. So while Piper is trying to be edgy and, you know, it's personal, what it comes across as a little bit is I'm a bit of a dick and WCW isn't worth my time instead. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm reading into it too much. Maybe other fans didn't see it like that. They just thought, wow, Piper's a badass. But I, I, I agree with you guys. And I think it comes across a bit, uh, a bit bad. It's like his previous promo too. The crowd love him at first, but then like, as he starts like spitting off his nonsense, like the crowd's just like, eh, I guess we don't really care about you. Never mind. Yeah. Yeah. He becomes less and less relevant. The more words come out of his mouth for sure. Yeah. Oh, and this is where the point where Tony puts the, the line that I really didn't like. He says, if that's who you look up to referring to the NWO, then you're just as low as they are. It's kind of weird to be like insulting your fans like that. Yeah, yeah I don't even mind insulting. So especially if you're doing something heelish, if you insult their town or something like that, that's bad enough. But making it a moral quandary for them, <laughs> you're a bad person if you like something, that's, that's a bit heavier than what I need tuning into a wrestling show, man. 
Yeah, there's just no need to comment on it. I mean, there's probably better ways to say it, but you yeah. really should just not say it. Yeah, for sure. From this, we go into a tag team match. We get Harlem Heat versus the amazing French Canadians, which is uh, Jacques. I want to say Rousseau is how you pronounce his second name, but I'm not 100% sure. Both their second names elude me pronunciation-wise. Uh, and Carl Aulet, is that how they pronounce it? Oulette or Aulet? Oulet. 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 And there were Colonel Parker... Of course, this is carrying over from the last pay-per-view, which Colonel Parker costs Harlem Heat the titles. Not not exactly directly, but they blame him. Uh, Harlem Heat and Sherry blame the Colonel. So yeah, the Nitros kind of continue. The feud, not much of note goes on, but Sherry especially blames the Colonel and wants to get his hands on, uh, wants to get her hands on him. And that's what the stipulation to this match is. If Harlem Heat win, Sister Sherry gets, I think they said five minutes, a five-minute match with yeah, the Colonel. Yeah. So a little bit of background on the Amazing Canadians. You might also know them as the Quebecers from WWF. You might also know uh, Jacques Rousseau as the Mountie, former Intercontinental Champion in WWF. So apparently these guys were actually tag team champions in WWF. I didn't realize that either. Yeah. And do you actually know who their manager was? Oh, yeah. Do you want to try and guess? Because I'm reading this at the moment. (laughs) Oh, I, I, I had this recently. Oh, Polo. Yeah, Polo. Yeah. Do you know who that was, though? Yeah, it's Raven. Yeah, Raven. I, I got this recently. Before Raven became the broody cult leader and uh, cult favorite wrestler, he was a preppy kind of uh, rich kid who just annoyed people. And he uh, managed people like the Quebecers to, I want to say, two title runs even, right? I'm not sure, but I know I know they had one over the Steiners that they fused uh, for them for a while. Three times they won the, the wow, three times. times. Three times. <laughs> They are actually not the worst tag team. I think they're better when it's the brothers. Like, Carl is a fine wrestler as well, but I do think it's better as the the Russo uh, brothers. I I thought they were way better in WWF because if you look at their ring attire in WCW, Jesus Christ. Yep. yep, (laughs) Oh, it's so bad. I mean, I I was right as well. Uh, Carl Ouellette had just finished a run in WWF and he was the pirate, Jean Pierre Lafitte. (laughs) (laughs) So that's kind of why he has the eye patch. Sure. Yeah. You know, like Canadians do. Yeah, yeah. Now, with all that being said and wacky backstories, this is probably the second best match of the night. No, oh, I, dis- I disagree. Ah, strong disagree. <laughs> so, this okay. match is terrible. <laughs> we'll get into the match a bit. The For, for those of you wondering, the French-Canadian team's uh, entrance team is the national anthem, the Canadian national anthem. And when they get into the ring, they, of course, butcher the Canadian national anthem by singing it obnoxiously. Butcher is like an understatement. They know two <laughs> words. Like I'm an American. I can tell you, like, I could do, like, three more lines at least. I mean. Yeah. I thought it was kind of weird. Harum, he come out to Pyro. Again, showing probably how over they are. You missed the best part of them coming out. What? You not see what Colonel Parker is wearing? Oh, Colonel Parker is a French legionnaire. A French foreign legion. Uh, <laughs> like... He looks insane, and also it's hilarious. It was like Viva la Quebec. <laughs> yeah, which is kind of weird. Again, I know the racial thing, but the minute I'm not managing black people, I'll take off my white polyester. Okay, that's oh, yeah, mm. he's, he's an evil cartoon character, Dave. What? <laughs> <laughs> he's dressed up as a French foreign legionnaire. It's hardly uh, it's hardly PC either. <laughs> no, no, that that that, that is fair. I think the, uh, the French-Canadians are actually a fine tag team. They do some fine heel work at the start. I like there was a sequence between Jacques and I think it's Booker is in the ring at the time. 
why they do a double ki- uh, kip up. One of them, uh, Jacques hits the floor first, does the kip up. He hits Booker. Booker does the same thing. I think it's a nice exchange. It's just some classic heel work in the corner by the the Canadians, and not much happens for the start of the match. I I, I will I guess that is a mark against it. It is quite a routine tag team match. One of the highlights is Dusty pronouncing sirens as sirens. They, they were t- he was talking about uh, someone injured backstage. Can't remember who he was saying was injured. He was talking about, oh he was talking about Rowdy Roddy Piper having to maybe be carted off backstage, and he's like. I can hear the sirens from here. So what? <laughs> what do you hear, Dusty? I don't. I don't know, Dave. This match was kind of weird because, like Harlem Heat, they start off with some like heel offense, even though they're obviously like the faces in this match, and it's just kind of weird that like yeah. both teams are kind of heel or they work in like heel fashions. Yeah, Harlem Heat are definitely in this transition where they're not full faces yet either, which is a bit weird. They they also are doing their healy thing to the camera. They're still asking people, can they dig it, and calling them suckers all the time, and and that that is still pretty heelish. And their manager is still a heel, as much as the crowd want her to kick the colonel's ass because the colonel is more of a heel. Sherry's not a good guy yet, so it is this like weird in between moment in their career. I would also say they're a young tag team, and they probably haven't had to work many face matches yet in their career, which is not it's not an excuse. They should still be working well. Is there anything that sticks out before I, before I go to kind of the final stretch of this match? Anything that sticks out in your mind? I know you guys aren't as much of a fan of this match as me. Uh, one moment that stuck out a little bit to me was the French Canadians. They do the body slam your own teammate onto Booker T. What do you guys think of that spot? That was sweet. That looked nice. It's okay. It's all right. I, I did find this match kind of boring, to be honest. Oh, it definitely was boring. I mean, the crowd was just silent. Again, with the, that long promo that we had, like the, the crowd is just out of the pay-per-view right now. Yeah, they, they totally killed the crowd. Yeah, so we get a ref bump after a hot tag. I think Stevie is the hot tag. And we got a ref bump afterwards, which lets the Quebecers bring in some weapons. They make their own kind of device where they have a step. <laughs> they put a table in the corner. They have a steel stairs under the table and a steel stairs on the table. And then Jacques throws Carl from the top of the steel stairs on the table, tries to hit Stevie. Stevie's playing possum. He gets up. You know, he hits shock. Then Booker hits the Harlem hangover for the win. So pretty pretty simple match. Pretty simple win. I understand why you guys didn't like this to an extent. It does feel like a match that could have, without the stipulation at the end, what ha- happens afterwards, that feels like a Nitro match. It does. I mean, the, the amazing French Canadians on Nitro, they're jobbers. Yeah, that, that's fair. Not much happens the match clocks in in uh, 9 minutes 14. It's not that long. And, like, Harlem Heat's matches are longer in general. You notice they do a bit of their a bit of their stuff, a bit of showing off to the crowd. Booker nearly always does his miss a move into recovering into Spinneroonie. So they have a routine that eats up time, and the match is still fairly short. So I can understand people not liking this. Harlem Heat wins, which of course means that uh, Sister Sherry gets her alone time with Colonel Parker, where she kicks his ass. The most notable thing that can be said from this is she starts throwing clotheslines, and Dusty Rhodes loses his mind over these clotheslines. Slicey splice. Uh, Let us listen to what Dusty has to say about the clotheslines. She's clothesline! She's clothesline! She's clothesline! And knocked him out of his boots almost! My goodness, that lady... She got him again! Again! Oh, she's girded up too, boys! She's going up on top! Oh, boy, right out of here! 
Uh, go get him, darling. I'm gonna hide my eyes. I'm looking up at a full moon. Oh man! Stop looking at me. Cover him. One, two. And he, he kicked out. He kicked out. Oh man, this is crazy. This is crazy. I don't think Dusty has ever been as excited over anything in his hey, damn life. Hey, they're good clotheslines. They're sweet <laughs> clotheslines. She does one from the top rope and it's... Considering she's wearing a full-length, like, evening dress yeah. while she's doing all of this, it's pretty impressive. She's a bit more athletic than some of the other stuff that's been going on in this pay-per-view, so... Well, there's a Nasty Boys match on the, in the pay-per-view, so she's like, oh. twice as athletic. Don't be silly. The Nasty Boys are great. Twice as athletic. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not, not, not arguing whether they're great or not, just... <laughs> They're not known for their, their high-flying moves, let's, let's say. Uh, no. The weird thing about this part, though, like, was this another official match? <laughs> Sherry tries for a pin and the ref counts. It, yeah. It's, it's really strange. They have it down as a match in the like, official results. They have it on Wikipedia as a match. They have her as winning, but what actually happens is the colonel runs out. What I particularly enjoy is that the colonel runs, and so, like, the Canadians follow with him, and then, like, Sherry runs. So, like, Steve Ray and Booker, like... I guess we better follow and <laughs> <laughs> <Okay. laughs> run after. So what's bizarre is the colonel obviously is not enjoying getting his ass kicked, so runs away. But he kicks up. He he, he knows the business. He's not taking that pain to a woman. <laughs> gotta he, stay strong, brother. Yeah, you gotta what a mark. <laughs> you gotta stay strong. Surely if you didn't want to get your ass kicked, let her pin you and the match is over. <laughs> like, why would you kick up and continue the possible match that you're in? But the crowd popped pretty loud for him being beat up. Yeah, I don't know why they made it five minutes. They could have just said, like, one minute and that would have been fine. Just yeah. as, like, a kick the crap out of him for being a jerk. That's all you really needed. I Yeah, I, I hated this match. I, I wouldn't say hate, but it was it was certainly a throwaway match. I just think there's four decent workers in it, and that doesn't happen that often in the pay-per-views we get to watch. Yeah, no, but it, I think this is really boring, and it's not a good match. And I'll give them that there was some build-up through the Nitros. There could have been 18 other guys that could have done better than this. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I'm also, uh, as we said before, with other wrestlers on this card, it's not a great use of Harlem Heat, which is probably two of their more over guys in yeah, the company yeah. at the moment. And just like using that like little fort contraption that the Canadians use, I don't know. It just it just makes it seem like they're a joke. <laughs> the, I, I was convinced one of them was going to tru- go through it. One of my favorite modern wrestlers uh, is Kevin Owens, and he has a half shoot interview. One of those interviews where everyone that's listening knows that you're talking about wrestling being fake, but you never admit that you're just setting up spots. And one thing he admits is he's like. And all my big matches, what I tend to do is, like, set up elaborate trap, like, devices. So, you know, he'll stack chairs, like, higher than himself and then put a table on top of it and then put another table there. And he's like, oh, my devices always backfire. I always end up going through them somehow. It's the mystery. I was convinced once they start setting it up, I'm like, someone's got, one of the, the Quebecers is going, or one of the Canadians is going through the table. I was convinced. Owen's exposing the business. Come on. Exposing. But, <laughs> but yeah, obviously this is the last time we're going to see the amazing French Canadians on the podcast. I mean, they, they are basically jobbers in, in WCW. They do appear occasionally on Nitros throughout 97. They actually do re- return back to the WWF for the majority of 98. They, they, they don't really fit in there. I mean, obviously it's awkward as Bret Hart like leaves as they get there. And the Attitude Era, just like they don't really fit in with that part of, of wrestling. 
they're always given very weird gimmicks. And I think Jacques is a is a decent wrestler. He does a pretty might, mighty fight kip, kip up in this match. And it's a, it's a shame. It's these guys giving like over the top gimmicks. And I think they would just be, if you would just call them by their actual names and not give them a gimmick, they'd probably have fine matches, but they're very much used as an automatic heat magnet because they're Canadian, dastardly Canadians. Because the Canadians are really well known for being dastardly. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is such a weird wrestling trope. The Canadian team, you can just automatically assume get booed. We'll go on to the next segment. And we get this weird guy, which none of us know who it is. Again, if someone ever finds out who this is, if this was a pseudo-celebrity from the time, please contact us. It is wrecking my head. It has to be someone, because they've used him for two promo packages in a row now. And it can't be just, like, a random actor if it's just two in a row. Is is Starcade meant to be Christmas-themed all of a sudden, or... I guess. Did they just decide to dress him up as an elf? I mean, it's, it's like, four days after Christmas, so that's, yeah, I, I don't know. It was so bizarre. Just Biggest yeah. pay-per-view of the year. Celebrate Christmas with us. <laughs> yeah, they have two of their NWO members are in Christmas movies currently as well. WCW is just going Christmas, going full Christmas this year. It is it is absolutely bizarre. And it's all it's all about, you know, it's one of those anti it's those typical in the nineties kind of anti-seasonal commercial. You know, Christmas, 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 and then people getting pile-drivered while there's, like, green and red on the screen. It's just... Again, if anyone knows who this person is, please let us know. It is absolutely racking our brains to find out. On to another Mean Gene interview, this time with Lex Luter. Uh, Lex, sorry. Lex Luger. Lex Luter, amazing. It would be fantastic. <laughs> best best heel. Uh, and they pr- they promote the hotline again. Please do not call the hotline. But we, we got a brief promotion for the hotline. We go straight into a bummed out Luger who's talking about Sting giving him the bat and is very honest and just says, you know, I don't know what's going on with Stinger. He, he says what everyone's thinking. Is he NWO? You know, he's wearing the face paint. He has a bat. You know, the NWO guys, they use a lot of weapons. They use bats and stuff to tugs. Honestly, he says, I don't know. And afterwards, he's asked about the match. He said, you know, you got to be favorite. And he's like, yeah, but there's a lot of people that are favorite in these matches. And they're very hard matches. And the NWO are going to be hard to overcome. And I liked this Lex. I think this is a decent promo. I think he seems a bit bummed out by his friends still not being back. I think he gives a kind of almost average professional athlete interview where instead of, you know, I'm going to destroy the Battle Royale, he's just like, yeah, there's a lot of good competitors in there and I'm going to try my best to do it, but there's a lot of good guys in there. So it's it's very realistic. It's very down to earth. What did you guys think of this promo? It's, it's a Lex Luger promo. <laughs> oh, no, I don't think so. I, I mean, it's, he's not shouty as usual. He doesn't, like, stumble on his words too much. I, I thought that was actually a decent babyface promo. I thought Lex has, like, really impressed me over the past month. I mean, it helps that WCW is booking him properly as well, that he's just on this complete streak of just beating a lot of big guys. So he's been, been put over seriously hard. That is fair. They have actually done a reasonable job of, like, making him out to be a big deal. I guess it's just he does a similar thing to um, to Roddy is he mixes up a couple of metaphors together. Yeah. I mean, it's nowhere near as bad as the cactus garden. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the damn cactus. But, uh, <laughs> but I, I, I'm laughing now reading my notes because me and Gene decides to call Sting Marcel Marceau in the, in the middle of the promo. Yeah. <laughs> it's totally like, what? First of all, I mean, who's going to understand what that reference is? Like who's that I mean, for? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I'd say eighty percent of the people watching that at the at the time were like, huh? 
who the fuck is that? And you're like, okay, yeah, Marcel Marceau. You're comparing him to a French mime. That works, I guess. Uh, Way to put over your new gimmick, right? (laughs) Yeah. Way to put over a new cutting edge kind of copying the crow gimmick. Yeah, he looks like a mime and we we all think he's ridiculous. That's that's definitely how he should be treated. Stupid mean gene. Dave, you didn't mention he rumored another superstar coming to WCW. That is very true, importantly. It's a nice thing to rumor because it's hard to think of it now because, again, it's so easy to find this information online. Very few things are hidden anymore. But back then, we people were still in suspense who was going to jump next. We're watching these pay-per-views in like a month at a time, which is when they would have seen them back then. But week to week, they still don't know who the next person to jump is. WWE isn't doing well at that time, so there's more and more likely there's going to be jumps, there's so many rumors, and it takes so long for stuff to be published, so there's still that feeling in the air of anything that can happen, even if we can't feel it now. Okay, we get the fifth match of the night, not including uh, Sherry's one-sided squash, which is uh, Psychosis versus Dean Blanco. Dean, still Cruiserweight Champion here, this gets a good 14 and a half minutes. And it's pretty high up the card, which might show, you know, a decent amount of respect for the WCW Cruiserweight title. There's been really good matches on pay-per-views. Is there any kind of backstory to this? Or this is uh, just Psychosis coming back and challenging, right? There's no real feud going on here. They have, like, some altercations, but it's not worth mentioning. It's so dumb and stupid and... Very WCW. (laughs) It's very WCW. I mean, what we need to talk about is Psychosis is back. Thank God. Yeah. Although, yeah. I was kind of expecting Six to be in this match. Maybe they wrestle next, next pay-per-view. I don't know. Yeah, Psychosis back. He kind of has to play the face here. Shows that he's a bit flexible because he was definitely the heel in the Ray match. Though, everyone default is the heel compared to Ray. So, maybe that's not exactly fair. And this is just kind of a, a classic Milanko match. Starts off with a lot of grindy offense by Milanko. Nice, quick, crisp. A lot of, I wouldn't call it, when he does them, I wouldn't call them rest holds. But that whole methodical picking someone apart, making them hurt. The one thing I'll always say about Dean is some people might consider it boring. But I think when Dean wrestles, that's when you could convince me what he's doing is real. Like if, if there's one person you could convince me no wrestling is actually real. I think it would be Dean. He makes everything look like it hurts. It makes everything look smooth. But nothing nothing much different from what we've seen from him out of the other pay-per-views. I'm going to disagree on this. Oh, really? (laughs) Because I did not like this match at all. Okay, okay. Mainly. And the reason is, is because this is a complete waste of psychosis. He wrestles psychosis for, what is it, 14, 15 minutes? Essentially does nothing the entire match. And it's just Dean lying on the ground, applying holds to a crowd that does not care and couldn't give a shit what he's doing. That that's fair. His style is very uh isn't very sports entertainment. It is very old school wrestling and it is very one-sided so we don't get to see the face. Rally often Psychosis botches something pretty bad in the match and I think it might be one reason why we didn't see more offense. I think there was going to be more Psychosis offense in the middle of the match, but he almost kills himself. He goes from the top rope to the outside for it's probably just a crossbody or maybe a senton. And he slips and he is a couple of inches away from smashing his head off the guardrail. I'm cringing just thinking about it. It's really, it looks really painful. Yeah, so I I think you're right, Gus. I I think there's definitely something to be said that the match never peaks like it should in in what Dean does with stuff like Ray. But I think what was going to happen was Psychosis was going to hit a splash there, get a couple of minutes of high octane offense in and then go back to grinding. But instead, we just got grind, grind into grind into grind into finish. 
I mean, maybe that makes it better, but like, he's not very good at selling. And like, he forgets that his leg is hurt a good bit. At one point, he does a backbreaker using the leg that Dean has been working on. for like five minutes yeah it's it's not like it's disco inferno that's probably why we like that match so much because disco i mean even though his selling is a little bit over the top but at least he's selling hard for dean yeah this is not the 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 kind of return match i want for psychosis because like he's a big high flyer i want to see him have a lot more offense and he didn't get any of it didn't get any of it and you know brain's putting him down as peg bundy again i don't know why brain (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> use that one again use that on bash at the beach it's... i mean my my most memorable thing from that entire uh, match is them arguing over what a ham hock is so <laughs> we are yeah we're gonna have to splice that one in because like dean, it's really kind of cool though dean does like a half walls of jericho it's a really like really cool looking move i've never seen oh, anything yeah. like it but uh yeah dusty what he says here i'm gonna put it in right here yeah all your ribs are exposed and you're pulling on on all your ham hocks and everything i guarantee you this is a hurting situation What's a ham hock? I don't think you and I have one. Well, it's, it's Is it like, like a gizzard. <laughs> no, it's like a thigh. Why not? Classic Dusty. I kind of feel bad. They're, does it feel like they're picking on Dusty? I think they're done with his shit. I think they're Bobby like, definitely is. <laughs> they're like, if you're going to make up shit, you're going to have to explain it to us, Dusty. You're not, we're not going <laughs> to just let you make up stuff anymore. I like how Dusty supposes he could have been a cruiserweight, and Bobby and Tony are like, no, there's no way you're a cruiserweight. <laughs> The thoughts of Dusty doing anything remotely high-flying is... <laughs> hey, he, he, he could be in the next Vader. Yeah, that's not high-flying, though. <laughs> <laughs> I, there's one really cool spot, I think we're all agreeing, this is the, the double tombstone reversal is a classic. So Dean goes for the tombstone, Psychosis not rolls out of it, but goes over the top of Dean, pulls him into a tombstone, Dean reverses it back into a tombstone. I think it's a real sweet spot. It's It's a classic, it's not like these guys are... Revolutionizing wrestling with this, but it was performed well. I do love the the tombstone spot. I thought it was awesome. It might have been one of my spots of the night uh, if it went for something that happened in the battle royal. I thought it should have been for the finish of the match, though. Yeah, same. I, I would have bought it as a finish, but uh, it's hard to buy the tombstone in this promotion as a finish because you don't have anyone like Taker doing it as a finish, and all the cruiserweights just seem to pull it out whenever. It's a very Japanesey move to be doing as like just a transition move and. In the first match, two of them are done alone, and one of them's a jumping one. And one of them's outside. So it's it's hard to sell yeah. it as a finish, I guess, if everyone's just doing it. Yes, in a way, but at least the crowd popped the most, and there was some impressive, like, balance with that. I guess that was the reason why. I mean, the finish of the match, all it is is just a reverse, I don't know, roll-up, or I don't know what you would kind of call it, but Dean kind of rolls up Psychosis right after the tombstone, and he gets the win. Yeah, it's, it's a nice, smooth roll-up by Dean, but it's not exciting. I'm kind of in between you guys. The first time I watched it, I was really pissed off. The second time I watched it, it was a little bit better. Overall, I still really was not a fan. I mean, it's quintessential Dean Malenko kind of match, but it's hard to enjoy it when the crowd does not care at all. I just kind of wish, like, Dean was paired up with somebody like Jericho, maybe. Considering the amount of guys in the Battle Royal, he could have had so many different people that he could have (laughs) wrestled. And probably the bottom line is we haven't seen Psychosis since Bash of the Beach. So it's just like, all right, he's yeah. back. And he's just this masked dude I'm, that's had like one or two matches. I mean, the last time I saw, he's on a couple of nitros afterwards and all he does is lose. Yeah. So if you've been following WCW, you're like, why is this jobber getting a, a title shot? <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's kind of a weird one. Though I, I do love Psychosis at this time in his career. So I'm, I'm happy he's back and hope he gets a couple more matches and hope he doesn't murder himself any further. 
Around this time as well, we get some mentions of something kind of interesting about the commentators. It's mentioned a couple times throughout the broadcast. Steven Regal is the only WCW heavyweight champion, so not cruiserweight, essentially, left representing WCW. He has the TV championship that we haven't we haven't seen the TV championship defended on pay-per-view yet. I haven't even seen it on Nitro. It's it's not. It's really so, weird. <laughs> it's kind of weird that they just randomly push Regal, and, and not to spoil it too much, but he's in, like in the last 10 men in the Battle Royale as well, and he eliminates one or two good wrestlers. I, I love Regal. Regal's a fantastic wrestler, and he's going to do one of my favorite matches in WCW for all the wrong reasons is going to come up later. Ooh, uh, I think I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, and he's involved. It, it's nice to see him pushed, but... This guy that we've never seen on pay-per-view before and a belt we've never seen on pay-per-view and we barely see on Nitros, kind of mentioned as one of the last beacons of WCW is a little weird. Yeah, we, we go straight to the next match, which is a triple threat tag team match for WCW World Tag Team Championships. We get the Outsiders versus a podcast favorite, Faces of Fear, with, with Jimmy Hart and the Nasty Boys. Oh, yeah, the Nasty Boys. <laughs> <laughs> we get 16 minutes for this, and the rules are that only two competitors are out in the ring, and you can tag in anyone you want. I hate these rules, and we're going to bring them up multiple times. I, I We're probably all going to talk about it. But the rules are nonsensical, don't lend themselves to a good match, and make anyone that doesn't find the exceedingly obvious loophole in the match look really stupid. Yeah, Dave, who has to pin who? Let's, let's <laughs> who has to that. pin who? Anyone can pin anyone. Mm-hmm. Anyone can <laughs> pin anyone. I love the disbraving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was full on like Marge real like, oh Homer, what are you doing? <laughs> it, it is really stupid. So there's been a bit of a build-up uh, to a rivalry here. Uh, Connor, why, why don't you bring us over what has been happening on the Nitros and the build-up to this feud? Yeah, there's been a, f- a few things. It's mainly happened on the last Nitro before the pay-per-view. So Hall and Nash, they trashed the Nasty Boys in a dark match. It's something I've never seen before, and Tony even acknowledges it as a dark match and explains what a dark match is. I've never seen that on like a wrestling show ever. I'm, I was just going to say that's really unique. I don't think I've ever seen that before either. And that's the way they start the episode of Nitro. It just it just starts on their Tony's like, oh, are we on the air or whatever? And they're just kind of showing like the parts of this this dark match. And I'll, I'll get into this dark match actually after this match. There's something that happened into it. So Hall goes into it. He's like, I've been hearing my whole career of how scary the faces of fear are, how they're in this match, and they're not so tough. So they call them out, and they also plug that you can't have a WCW pay-per-view without the NWO. Kind of like saying how important the NWO is and they should get their own show or their own Nitro, essentially. And so what ends up happening, faces attack them backstage and they brawl with trash cans and they brawl outside through the arena. So actually kind of booked as like an even fight. It should be. Faces of Fear are the scariest people on the roster by a mile. K-Fabe's scariest people by a mile. Well, it's nice that the outsiders actually are putting them over as like legitimate tough people. So, well, they're probably just too afraid of Mang. Uh. Yeah, Yeah, it's a nice little bit of build up for this, and an actual reason to have the nasties on the pay per view. We've commented a few reasons we weren't uh, a few times before. We weren't sure why the nasties are here. We know exactly why the nasties are here for this one. Yeah, and that's why Nobs he kind of has a like a bandage on his head as well. Yeah, they do mention that as he comes in for uh, the commentary team. Do mention that as he makes his entrance. So straight away, uh, we get the we get the champions out first. Hall and Nash never fail to look very cool. They should have come out last though. I thought that was a big mistake. I, I agree, but it's only so the early hops can happen. So the nasty boys come out straight away and start beating up on them. Throw them out of the ring. Couple seconds later, faces of fear come out. They brawl on the outside. 
and you get the classic nasty boys the referees take 20 minutes to break this up there's a few notes and this match is pretty normal as in there's no huge high spots in general but there's a few things that the rules just make me lose interest in this match even though all the teams involved aren't that bad the nasties tag themselves out on multiple occasions trying to make themselves kind of look clever but it makes very little sense not to be the active team because you have no control over the win you can't win if you're not the active team only two men in the ring so they tag themselves out multiple times and it doesn't do anything the faces of fear are in the ring together and they don't attempt to pin each other which is just a free win by the rules do they get pinned at the same time yeah they both tag out very shortly yeah they both tag out immediately okay sure sure because i know like because they build up to that that main spot that we'll get to yeah i couldn't remember anyone else doing it i thought that was the point but way to blow the spot then yeah (laughs) at least for the spot for the faces they look like they're about to fight each other and then they just quickly tag out like they size each other up which would have been stupid (laughs) i'm like why are you sizing your tag team partner out even if you can't think of the loophole one of you make a tag because they're big crazy dudes that's why (laughs) you want to talk about stupid like another big problem with this match too it's like the face of fear and the nasty boys they beat up each other for like a while for no reason paul and nash just kind of like laugh and applaud it's like ah we don't have to do anything here yeah Yeah. which is i I like it to an extent because you're keeping the champion special and fresh and you're giving the heels a reason to go over two face teams by being kind of fresher and being a bit sneaky. But it's also because Hall and Nash don't like to work a lot while they're in WCW. Yeah. <laughs> they just it's, don't want to actually wrestle. But it's not even uh, it's not even being sneaky. They just look smarter than the two of them, which is not what you want your heel teams to be doing. <laughs> I actually really enjoyed the match. I think it's a really good triple threat. Once you get past the rules, there's lots of good solid tag team wrestling. Yes. It's just kind of ruined by the rules because a lot of the time like guys are getting tagged out when they should be tagging their partners in and they're wandering into the other corners like there's so many times when like somebody's in charge like if meng is like battering sags and he brings him into the corner and scott hall tags himself in and you're like of course that's gonna happen why why are you guys looking like idiots here this is really dumb i mean the, the match should have been a no dq match that's that's the standard triple threat rule, yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, it takes both federations to figure that out for a while because WWF has these kind of matches early on in the attitude area, and it doesn't help in this match. Like Sags does multiple low blows right in front of the ref, and just like they can't call it. Yeah, that, that, was, that was really odd. two just right in a row. I will say about this match, I've been really hard on the nasties. I think this is probably the best nasties match we've seen so far. Nah, they, they, that Bash of the Beach match is deadly. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Bash of the Beach match is a spectacle. I'll say this is the best wrestling match that they've okay, been involved okay, in so okay. far. I'll, I'll agree to that, I guess. <laughs> we'll agree to disagree, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's good. I think they work really well with the Faces of Fear. They just beat the shit out of each other at multiple occasions, and they don't care. And they're both throwing, and they both look like they're throwing stiff and neither team cares and that's it's probably yeah. not how wrestling should be done but it looks very good to the spectator for sure yeah no team is selling for anybody so it's like ooh, yeah, who can yeah. no sell the best <laughs> yeah there's de- there's definitely occasions where like someone's getting hit and they just tag out and walk out of the ring like what why why can you just tag while i'm punching you that's not that's never a thing in this I mean, I, I just wanted to point out that Jimmy Hart has a sweet Misfits logo on the back of his jacket. Oh, he does. Oh, I missed that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think they're just kind of appropriating as the Faces of Fear logo. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I like that. Let's use that. 
I've said it about the face of fear before. There was a really bad reputation for these guys coming in. Like, I just assumed they were bad big guy wrestlers. Like, there's been lots of people like that through both of these companies. And I'm just still pleasantly surprised about how decent of wrestlers they are. And I guess I shouldn't have been because I know Haku isn't a bad wrestler from back in the day. But I don't know where the faces got such a reputation of being a bad tag team. This kind of half came up, I saw in some articles there recently. I think it's due to not understanding the kind of wrestling they were doing. And it's more appreciated now. Like, it's just a different style to what people were used to. And they just kind of didn't get it. And they're like, oh, he can't do, like, 20 moves. So he's just a big plotter. And you're like, no, he's just a big brute of a man. And you don't need 20 moves when he can do five of them really, really well and make it look legit. Yeah, and it's not even like... Some guys look limited. You're like, I don't think he could do more moves if he tried. But both of these guys look athletic and, like, they could... They just have no need to. Just, they're really simple. They're not slow. They're like methodical. They pick people apart. They sell the story to the crowd. And they Mm, do... Hold. I didn't like Barbarian selling at all. Like, I think it was... I can't remember who was targeting the knee. Maybe it was one of the nasty boys. But Barbarian selling in that was just woeful. He doesn't even move. Do you mean... Do you mean perfection? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. 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 I, I love the faces. It was just like this one moment that I'll pick apart. I mean, that's why we have this podcast, right? No, that, that, that is absolutely fair. And there, there are times... Um, kids, I'm just going to say, selling is certainly not their strong suit. Like, but. Yeah. yeah, there's times they take their character too far. Notably, people like Kane from WWE, back in the Attitude <laughs> Era, would do it a bit too often as well, where big guys should no-sell sometimes, but if you do it too often, it gets tedious and... Then when you lose, it's not convincing because how did you lose? You no-sold the entire match. How can you lose this one random finisher? It doesn't make sense. But yeah, certainly sometimes they overdo that a little bit. But yeah, it's, it's really interesting to watch this tag team that didn't get much credit in its time and we're watching matches back and saying, you know, they're probably one of the better things about these pay-per-views. So going into the last stretch of the match, we get this build-up where we get, I think it's Meng and Knobs in the ring, and they're like swinging at each other, and it's getting a bit personal, and they stare each other down in the ring, and they both just jump at the outsiders and tag them in real quick. So now they're, you know, prompting, you have to be in the ring, they're prompting the uh, the outsiders to get into the ring, they got to fight, they're all getting the crowd hyped up, cheering, cheering, the outsiders try to tag out, but then everyone jumps off the mat and leaves them in the ring. And in the most foreshadowing thing I've seen so far, Kevin Nash lays down in the middle of the ring. <laughs> to let he's another, so good at it. Yeah, yeah, he's so good at it to let another NWO member try and pin him. Now, while this is a fine spot and all, it makes the two other teams look like absolute morons. Now, the two other teams in question aren't known for their mental prowess, but it makes them look like Anyone watching the match must have been wondering out loud, can they just pin each other? That must be against the rules or the other teams would have done it. Oh no, they're just pinning each other. So it just makes Hall and Nash look way smarter than everyone else. They've clearly like bamboozled the two lads behind backstage as well. It's like, yeah, so we're going to do this really cool spot and it's going to be like, like you're outsmarting us and then we figured this out and they're like, oh, this is a great idea. And they're like, suckers. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what we, uh, we get as the run up. That's the big spot of the match. Connor, do you want to run us through the exact finish? 
Yeah, sure. I actually thought the finish wasn't too bad. So after Hall tries to pin Nash, the the, the whole match just kind of goes into a schmoz. The team, all the teams are just brawling. Some get knocked out. Then in all the madness, you know, the referee is distracted. So Nob gets hit with the uh, the megaphone, and we get the first jackknife powerbomb on the on the podcast. And it actually, really gets a nice pop. So the outsiders get the one, two, three, and retain the tag team titles. So I think this is a decent finish. But Nobbs is 100% not the legal man. Not close. The legal men are about the outsiders. Because what happens after the attempted pin is everyone rushes the ring, realizes their mistake, breaks up the pin, and then we get, you know, megaphone shot, jackknife. But both the outsiders are still the legal men. So it's really weird that they just pin Nobbs. Never let the truth get in the way of a good story, Dave. (laughs) Also, it's that weird thing where there's too many people involved in the match. So on the slow motion replay, you can see the faces of fear outside and they're just doing nothing outside. Oh, of yeah, people. they're kind of just watching. So instead of fighting, because they have no one to fight with really anymore because everyone else is in the ring and the faces of fear are just standing there. They're just trying to get into the ring as slowly as possible while making it look like they're still trying to do something. <sighs> and it just doesn't work. <sighs> like, yeah. Oh, this ring got so big all of a sudden. Oh, it's <laughs> such a climb. I got so tired. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, finally, I'm going to sell something. (laughs) And then then it pans slightly to the left, and the other nasty boy is standing there. Why aren't they just fighting? They they all just look like, ah, the match is over. Whatever, give me my paycheck. (laughs) You can only see it on the slow motion replay. That, that's right, such right. a nitpicky thing, but s- small things like that annoy me sometimes. I mean, just punch each other. Just pretend you're still fighting and you didn't see what's happening in the ring. Yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of this match. I mean, obviously, it's just the structure of the match that completely ruins it. I thought all the teams involved were awesome. I thought the Outsiders as characters were a little bit more developed. They're more involved. As I said, like they actually had promo time. They're not just lackeys to Hogan now. So I, I thought this was a nice descent from that. Yeah, I enjoyed this match. After the Cruiserweight match, that's probably the next most enjoyable one for me. The problem is the rule irks me a lot. But if you take away the logic hole or you just assume that the faces and the nasties are idiots, it's not the worst. None of the competitors' fault. Just a bad stipulation to the match. So this is the last time we'll actually see the Nasty Boys on the podcast. I don't know if you guys uh, realize that. Oh, no, I didn't. I kind of vaguely knew this, but I'd forgotten, yeah. Yeah, so have you guys heard what happens to Jerry Sags in the next month or two? No. Gus? No, go on. <laughs> okay. So, actually, in that dark match, Hall hit him with a chair. They do not actually show it on Nitro. I'm pretty sure this was this happens on the Nitro, but Sags gets a concussion and injures his neck really badly. And from the stories from all the shoot interviews, so J.J. Dillon and Kevin Sullivan convinced Sags to finish their next couple matches since they were heavily advertised on house shows as, like, the marquee match and, obviously, this pay-per-view. And they also promised Sags to that he would be protected. If you notice, I actually watched back the match, and Sags does very little. And when he did a little bit, he quickly tagged out, and he was holding his neck pretty bad, just in the corner lying down. So then a few weeks later, in another match with Hall, Nash, and the Faces of Fear, Sags on the outside got nailed from behind with a chair, and when he looked up, he saw Hall with a chair... And other shoot interviews say Nash hit Sags with the chair. But Sags proceeds to shoot fight Hall, breaking a few of his teeth. Hall's like bleeding all over the place. And then back in the locker room, Nash threatens the Nasty Boys with a baseball bat. Not long after this incident, Sags was fired and ended up suing WCW for wrongful termination. And it's just crazy story considering all these guys are actually really good friends. And they're still friends currently. <laughs> that, that is bizarre. Did- I wouldn't have expected out of the nasties. They love, like they're as you said, they're all such good friends. Connor, did he did he win that lawsuit? 
he did win the lawsuit, but he's like, oh, well, it barely covered my medical bills, and mm. they complain like, well, and we also missed out the glory years of WCW, and we missed out on a lot of money, because when SAGs got fired, like, obviously, Knobs had nothing to do, so they just sat around and did nothing for three years. That's shit. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I, like, I've given them a lot of, a lot of hate. I'm not exactly going to miss them, but no one deserves that. That's not a great work environment. Also, you're never going to be on the winning side. The, the one real toxic thing about WCW now is it's so hard for you to be on the winning side of a debate against an NWO member. So it was never Nasher Hall getting fired in that situation. Never yep. in a hundred years, no matter how much they're in the wrong, were they ever getting fired. So it's always the person. They basically, they have a free ticket to do what they want. And this kind of like outlines the there's slight animosity in the locker room. I mean, we don't really talk about this much on the podcast, but uh, a moment like this that we're a tag like a big name tag team like leaves the company. We just had to kind of mention this kind of event. It yeah. sucks all around. But it's it's huge and it really shows the landscape and a lot of wrestlers commentate on it. Hall and Nash have nothing to work for. We we always talk about how good the guaranteed contract was for the wrestling industry, and it certainly is. But now that they have guaranteed money and it's guaranteed a lot of money. They don't have any incentive to do better. It doesn't matter how well WCW does. It doesn't matter how much they sell, how well their pay-per-views are doing. Hall and Nash make the same amount of money. You'll see them, and we make jokes about it, but they wrestle as little as possible. They are basically unfireable because they are in the most over thing in the company, and they have no incentive to make the company do any better than it is. So it is a real toxic situation that they have backstage and there's a lot of talk of people who jump. Paul White, giant, eventually makes the jump from WCW to WWE. And he talks about how cutthroat it is in WWE. Because everyone wants to have the best matches. Everyone wants to get paid more. And while they're on guaranteed contracts, they're more likely to get more money if they are worth more to the company. And they want to be better than WCW. They have something to aim for. So the environment in WWF gets really cutthroat and competitive while in WCW it's stagnant and it is a massive reason why the why the NWO gets so bloated. Because if you're with the NWO, your contract is better, you're treated better. And it's it's really bad. So the peace de resistance. We get World War Tree. For those of you who haven't seen it or have never seen one, there are three rings, like we explained at the start. Each ring is going to contain 20 members of the roster until there is 10 in each ring. It's the same battle royale rules, eliminated only over the top rope, no pins. And when there's 10 in each ring, they go to the middle ring and they finish it like a normal battle royale. Yeah, they, they kind of explain that really badly, though. Yeah, they never really that's explain that's it properly. exactly what they say, because I got from it was... Once any ring gets to 10 or less, they're supposed to move to another ring of their choice. And it can be any ring from the way it was phrased. Now, the way the match pans out, it doesn't matter. It's really badly explained is the main point. That's all I really... I think the wrestlers just kind of like, eh, I think we're just going to go into one ring now. Yeah, yeah it, it really is like, oh, I guess we'll go. <laughs> it's not a big deal and it might just be me, but for Royal Rumble or World War Three or whatever you want to call your big gimmick battle royale, the one thing I like is the floor feels like lava. You know what I mean? The floor is avoided at all costs. I hate spots where someone goes below the bottom rope because it, it breaks the illusion. If that's the case, why doesn't everyone just run under the bottom rope and go hide somewhere? Why is anyone wrestling? Why is anyone eliminating anyone? Why isn't everyone just spilling out under the bottom rope where you're, you cannot be eliminated if you're touching the ground already. So I hate when they break the illusion like that because there's actually a pretty big loophole. So when they, when everyone goes to the middle ring, 
out of the left and the right ring, people just float out of the ring. Everyone just hops out of the ring. So it makes it look like a bunch of people are eliminating themselves randomly in the middle of the match because the match is really hard to follow. Again, I know that's nitpicky. I know there's ways around it. I just, I like when wrestlers act as if the floor is lava. Yeah, Dave actually agreed too. Cause like that really bugs me too. I wish like you could just update a simple rule that like you can get counted out if you're like outside like that for like 30 seconds or something like that. So we don't have to get the Stone Cold and Roman Reigns spot where, oh, somebody gets hurt and they can rest for 20 minutes. Disappear, yeah. J- Jericho did it for the Royal Rumble. He's in longest. He like he spent 15 minutes twice just on the floor outside and stuff. His, his is for a different reason though, in fairness. Yes, it is for a different reason. It just breaks the match a little bit. And it makes people, again, like the last match, it makes people look stupid. If I go under the bottom rope, just don't get back in. Let them wrestle. Right. It's small. It's nitpicky, but I, I dislike it. So for this match, we get the treat of six different commentators. Honoring number one, we get Mike Tanay finally back out, and Dusty Rhodes. Two, we get Shivani and Brain. And three, we get uh, Lee Marshall and Larry Sabisco, my favorite comedy team by, by a margin. Lee is fantastic. We get six different commentators all commentating on their own ring. And we get a special triple split screen. But none of the screens take up much of the screen at this t- time. So it's not like they're taking up almost a third of the screen at the time. They're taking up maybe an eighth of the screen. So they're kind of hard to see. They're from very weird angles and throughout the whole match, commentators are commentating on stuff we can't see. The, the camera is just awful and yeah. it completely ruins this match from the start. You don't know which co- commentators are commenting on which ring half the time. Most of the commentators are pretty poor. They don't really seem to do care that much. Larry Zabisco may as well not be there. He doesn't really give a shit. I think the brain checks out fairly quickly. And then Dusty is Dusty. So, like, how can you expect Dusty to keep track of two wrestlers, let alone 20 in one ring? Like, it's it's one massive clusterfuck. <laughs> not to mention that, too. I can't imagine watching this pay-per-view in 96 on, like, a CRT, a CRT? TV and, like... Not in HD. Like, man, I, I can't imagine people trying to watch this on, like, smaller TVs back in the day. So we we always talk about how we're going to... Connor kindly sends us out show notes, tells us, you know, these are some things I've seen. This is what I think we should talk about before the show. And I had it in my head that I would talk about almost every elimination in this match. Just go through it real quickly. This is the order of eliminations. This is who we think eliminated them. These are the eliminations that actually matter for feuds. Something I would do if I was covering a Royal Rumble from the WWE. After two seconds of the match, I quickly realized that was just completely fruitless and meant less than nothing, and that I would never be able to keep up with what's happening because I can't see people getting eliminated. Also, the people who are getting eliminated are plebs. There's 60 people wrestling at the same time. So many of them are people that barely even show up on Nitros, let alone pay-per-views. It's tough to follow. It took me two or three attempts. I sat down, watched it, and twice I walked away and said life is too short. (laughs) (laughs) so initially before the commentators split up we get brain trying to say who are your picks brain picks dean he then asks dusty who his pick is dusty then tells us that piper is really important and that he's wcw's hope (laughs) and starcade yeah well dusty he finally decides on luger and conan conan Conan, yeah Yeah, yeah, very important So yeah, Lee, Lee Marshall, he ends up picking Kevin Nash, Larry, Dusty, and Tanae, they all pick Luger, and then Tony finishes up with Giant just because he's the biggest, which makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it kind of contradicts what Brain says, though. Brain's like, Dean is, initially he's on Dean because Dean isn't too tall. 
He's like, Dean's a champion. He's not too tall, but he's not so short so he can get thrown around. The big guys get eliminated because the ropes... And this actually makes sense. Brain pokes too many holes in matches. It's not hard to eliminate people like Giant because the the rope is like his ass. If you just push him, he's going to go over a rope. It's like, you know, big guys have slipped in rings and gone over ropes. They're too tall. They get tripped up. That's just wrestling kayfabe that the big guys are just better in Bear Royals for some reason. they're, They're heavier, so you can't lift them. But you don't need to lift Giant. You know, he's way above the ropes. That's just how kind of gravity works. So Brain... Like they, have, they have a more experience point in Battle Royals for some reason. Yeah, so Brain just points that out. And I'm like, shh, don't tell them, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> don't break the illusion. Giant is supposed to be impossible to eliminate because he's so heavy. That's the thing. It's like Austin's promo one year where he's like, how have you been getting ready? I've been drinking beers. Get that center of gravity real low. Get that stomach... <laughs> at, at the same time, Dave, like it is, it is kind of cool that they're kind of putting over that like anybody could win this World War Three. Uh, obviously, we know pretty much who's going to win or who's going to be like in the t- the, like, the last three at least. Yeah, yeah. But like yeah. they they at least try to put over that like they have a lot of talented guys in WCW. You know, right. like the Luger promo, but like, even on the Nitros, they actually do a decent job of doing that. And I thought like picking Dean Blinko is just kind of another sentiment of that. Yeah, I, I do. I do agree. And. Until the match starts, I think the commentators do a pretty good job of feeling excited and a kind of who's going to win. We don't know. Yeah, especially when the wrestlers come out. Oh, man, this is this is a delight. Oh, the, the parade so of mediocrity, as I call it. <laughs> wrestler after wrestler that's never going to get another paycheck after this pay-per-view. Now, there's, there's so many. I'm surprised, Dave. A lot of these guys, they last in the company for a while, in fairness. <laughs> We we see Disco. This is Disco's first return to a pay per view. He's one yes. of the, he's one of the random plebs. A lot of guys that have never been on a pay per view we've seen before. Probably the vast majority. I have a list of jobbers that I don't even know who they are. Okay, yeah. go, go for it. All right, first up, Galaxy. Yep. Jack Boot. Jack Boot. Yeah. Jimmy Graffiti. I actually know who that guy is. Sadly enough, he has like one Nitro match. He is like a really shit version of John Cena. It's so it's so terrible. Do you want to know who Jack Boot is? Because he's already been on a Nitro. Hit me. He was the Leprechaun. Oh, <laughs> oh no! no. <laughs> so he's already been repackaged in like in three months. <laughs> not not, oh, e- not even a strict upgrade to his name. Good lord, I didn't recognize him either. So oh, I hadn't a clue. Like I, I'm I'm looking at the people that are in it. Right yeah, now. that's all I did. I just looked at names, and here's people I don't recognize. Because like the third guy that comes out, I'm like, who is that guy? It, it really bothered me. But other guys that we have, we have Chaos, yeah. Tony Rumble, yeah. Ruckus, Mark Starr, good old Mister <laughs> Dale. We know who that is. We know who that is. Yeah. Uh, Pez Watley. Pez oh. Watley. Great, great line for Pez Watley. Tony calls him a great professional. That's great character building there, Tony. Thanks very much. I'm pretty sure he gets thrown immediately after that as well. <laughs> he knows how to put his guys over. The best part was like the commentators are going over wrestlers like you shouldn't overlook. So Bobby mentions Ice Train. And like I know we said like we were not going to see him again, but I don't really count this match for the podcast. Although he does survive much longer than expected, oddly enough. My favorite uh, underrated pick, Tony goes, but what about Roadblock? Ah, <laughs> uh, Roadblock. What, roadblock? what about Roadblock? <laughs> if you don't have the ability to pitch a better name than Roadblock, you probably shouldn't be a professional wrestler. Yep. Uh, other guys that we haven't seen, uh, Laparka, he's not really a jobber. We're going to see, I don't know how many times on the podcast, but he's definitely a mainstay. Yeah, he, he does a lot. 
Not, yeah. not for a while, though, yeah. Yeah, he just had his first match on Nitro, so... A couple notes here. X-Pac, he looks like he's 17 without a beard. Yeah. Was Kevin Nash holding a beard? I have that yes. noted down. <laughs> I have that noted. Kevin has definitely had most of a beer. That is the ends of a beer Kevin is drinking as he comes out. <laughs> That's <Okay>. perfect. <laughs> supreme, supreme professional Kevin Nash. Ah, whatever. I'm not going to do anything for 20 minutes, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> Yeah, it is It is real, but all the NWO come out together, which is a little bit of foreshadowing what's going to happen in the match. A lot of people we don't know. The people we do know also don't really get fanfare, which is what's wrong with this entrance. But if you're letting 60 people in at the same time, you don't have time to make fanfare. You don't, You could do the thing where everyone is in the ring that's a pleb and then have the 10 guys that matter come out to music, but then you're giving away what's going to happen in the match. I don't yeah. think there's a good way to do this. But this it, is not a good way to do it either. This occurred to me just because it, it becomes relevant in the, in the match itself. But like, are the guys just picking the ring, whatever ring they want? Is that part of the rules or? My explanation isn't like kayfabe. Like somebody in the back just tells them like you got to sure, sign to this okay. ring. I, so yeah. it's so your kayfabe reason is some idiot WCW employee has put all the NWO in the same ring. Well, Bischoff orchestrated it that way. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, sure, sure, sure. It just came to me there. I'm like, hang on, that's a bit stupid. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, the crowd probably doesn't understand why Benoit is completely messed up right now. Is that makeup or is he really bruised? He has bruises all over his face. I assumed it was makeup because it looked weird. It looked like he had leprosy. He gets beat up by the Dungeon of Doom in a bathroom stall. They wait for him in a bathroom stall and they beat him up. There's a The feud between the Dungeon of Doom and the Horseman is boiling over. Flair isn't there. So the numbers game is going in the, in the favor of the Dungeon of Doom repeatedly. And the Horsemen are getting their ass kicked, essentially, at this stage in the feud. And that boils over into the match. We see Benoit coming out with these patches on his face. I don't know if they're actually healing bruises or a terrible attempt at makeup. Straight away on the outside, we get all of the Dungeon of Doom and we get the four horsemen or what's left of them. Flair does not accompany anyone. Brawling outside. Jarrett does not get involved, right? Am I wrong with that? It's so hard to follow exactly what happens because all the camera shots are so tight. But I don't think Jarrett helps the horsemen. I don't think so either. Yeah. I don't think so, no. I'm pretty sure it's just Mongo and Arn. Yeah. Come out. And they brawl into the crowd and they brawl over the place. But very weirdly, Lee Marshall gets knocked down in the scuffle. <laughs> and for some reason, Meng purposely kicks him in the head and chest. They are real kicks. This is noted. Like, they, they are not fake kicks. They, they just give him, like, they're not milling into him, but they give him warning kicks into the chest and head. I think Lee kind of got in the way and it pissed off the Dungeon of Doom. So they put a couple boots in him. But you can hear Lee, he's kind of distressed on the ground. And afterwards, he's like trying to catch his breath. And the commentator's like, uh, guys, Lee's on the ground. <laughs> like, yeah, is Lee okay? Of course I'm not okay. <laughs> Why did they kick me? It's it's really weird. And obviously he did something, either got in their way or did something backstage to annoy the guys. But Lee has done something to antagonize the face of yeah. the game. Yeah, I, I love Marshall yelling at Larry for not helping oh, him. Oh, yeah. So good. Ciclo play is out. Let's go to ring number three. Check in with Lee Marshall. Well, and, Lee, uh, Lee Marshall's not available. We've got headsets all right, over the place. Oh, there you go. Me? I can't hear you. And I don't know if it's the headset. How you doing? Just take a, how am I doing? What do you mean, how am I doing? How do you think I'm doing with you standing there while I'm getting my brains kicked in? That's how I'm doing. 
I have no idea what the actual story is. I couldn't find it. But I have to assume that Lee Marshall has been like pissing off the two lads somehow. And this was the easiest way that they could get to him. And nothing could be done about it. Because it'd be like, oh, we were just like making it look good, you know. It does kind of take people out of it a little bit for a couple of minutes. Yeah, and we, we get none of the members of the dungeon or the horsemen come back. So they're essentially all eliminated. I think one of the commentators said they're counted out of the matchup eventually. So they do confirm that none of them are able to jump back in at any time. And then we get to the match. And I wish I could be, as I said, super detailed for you guys and tell you about the important spots. But it was extremely hard to follow. So I'm just going to go over some of the, the stuff I have in my notes. Very importantly, it's pointed out multiple times by the commentators that NWO are doing nothing in ring two. And that's what they do. They stand in the corner. All your main draws in the match stand in the corner while the WCW wrestlers fight. And this is probably the worst bit of the match for me because why isn't it NWO versus WCW? I thought the gimmick of the match was going to be NWO guys are all in one ring and they pick on the people in that ring and they eliminate them all and then they wait for the other two rings to come to them because that would make a lot of booking sense. But the WCW guys just fight each other. To be fair, some of the guys do try and attack the NWO and they get battered for it. Like, this guy takes a lot of a beating uh, before he gets thrown out of that ring. <laughs> he definitely gets chokeslammed and probably jackknifed as well. Yeah, Ro- Roadblock takes some abuse. He shoves Giant. He li- but he doesn't signal out the NWO. He signals out Giant, you know, big guy versus big guy. He pushes him around and Giant just clotheslines him out of the ring. It still doesn't make sense to me that NWO is trying to take over your company. Why, why isn't it just them, them versus us? That's what I thought this whole matchup was going to be. It's finally WCW has the number of games opposed to NWO, but yeah, the idea is they're trying to like protect each other. It's just problem is their their demeanor is so lackadaisical. They just look like yeah, yeah we're just gonna stand here. It's obvious that no, we want to rest up for the final spot. Yeah, we we got a cool spot where in ring one, Big Ron stood. Dusty accidentally calls Big John stood, who was Ron's trainer. You might know him better as the Yeti was his gimmick before this. Is in the corner and nearly every wrestler in. The ring splashes him at least this once. This is dumb as fuck. Well, it's it's dumb afterwards. So I thought he was gonna no, get this. Is just dumb. Why would you <laughs> Why would you pile on a guy? Well, that's when the... your object is to throw him out of a ring. <laughs> well, th- I think the splashes are fine. Like he's so big, everyone has to pick on him. And then I thought Lex was gonna toss him, but then two or three people jump on him, and you can see them going pin, pin, pin. So everyone does the spot by jumping on him. While the referee is trying to shout at them going, guys, guys, there's no pins. Guys, there's no pins. You got to throw them out. You got to throw them out. There's no pins. And not not until the sixth or seventh guy jumps on top do wrestlers start looking at the referee like, why aren't you counting? And they're like, oh, the spot doesn't work. So it's really weird. I don't know who initiates the spot, but it makes everyone in the ring one just comes off looking like an absolute pleb. Yeah, the pro- another problem too is the commentary, particular Tanay, He's he tries way too hard to create drama in the match. Yeah, just randomly. Oh, what's happening? <sighs> Nothing. He's- oh, oh, Tony Rebel, he's out. Yeah. <laughs> People are gone. Who is that? I don't understand. Yeah, we didn't see it. We don't care. Yeah, we'll never know. <laughs> yeah. Instead, we get an awesome spot. Bronco Buster by X Pac. Yeah. With <laughs> that dragon just like sits there motionless. It's just really awkward. Yeah, we get in ring three. One of the spots I have written down is the Canadians eliminate Hacksaw. They all three of them get eliminated. Hacksaw then tries to fight them on the outside. I'm like, okay, he's a crazy face. They get broken up really easily by one ref. So Hacksaw punches a guy in one of the other rings in the head and walks off. 
Like, just, like, looks to his left, punches a guy on the ground to the left, and then leaves. Why did he punch a random guy in the ring? What did he do? Uh, it's best not to think about what think too hard, Duncan man. does. Yeah. yeah. Eddie eliminates himself. So DDP goes to the outside. We don't catch it on camera. DDP isn't eliminated, so we never get explained why. And then Eddie jumps over the top rope to dive on DDP because they're feuding. So Eddie has eliminated himself from the match. He wasn't supposed to, so he just gets back in the ring later and keeps fighting. Is that the old Macho Man spot? (laughs) The Macho Man one is so good. Yeah, except no one told Eddie to get out. Macho had to stop being in the match, right? Oh, no, Macho... No, Macho gets back in. And they're like, oh, you can't eliminate yourself. yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's like you can't eliminate yourself. They make a deal out of Bagwell and his partner get eliminated at the same time. And they're obviously initiating some kind of tag team split up there, right? Yeah, it's been hinting for a while. Yeah, it just yeah. keeps building. Those are the main like points. A lot of plebs get eliminated. And after that, everyone goes to ring two. Eddie and DDP beat each other up outside while everyone's going to ring two. While everyone gets into the same ring, it's kind of this weird downtime where no one can do anything and it's kind of boring and it breaks up the match. So I didn't really like And they it. don't cut to one camera they either. They don't cut to one camera. Yeah. Yeah, I was, there's there's just three different angles on the same ring and you have three cameras on the same ring and not one of them is getting a good angle of the match. Sometimes jokingly I say pay-per-views were hard to watch. You know, I'm just sitting here watching wrestling. None of it is that hard. This was really hard not to walk away from multiple times. I did not know what was happening. I was genuinely confused. Even when I focused really hard, I couldn't see what was going on by the cameras, uh, by the angles of the camera. So it's massive amounts of wasted time where we can't see things. And the commentators who are kind of being led by Shivani, you can tell they don't know what to talk about. Besides when it gets down to the last like 10 uh, 10 people, they stay also with six commentators, which annoys me. Yeah, they, they talk over each other a lot of times. Bobby even tells Tanae to call your own ring. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I don't know why they don't just go down to two commentators when they get into the all into the same ring. Why the other guys obviously don't have a good vantage point on the third ring anymore. I'll give you the reason, Dave. They didn't think about what they were going to do when that happened. This is all fair. They definitely didn't plan it out. And they're like, oh, yes, we're going to do this, this, and this. They just went, oh, we should use all our announcers. Yeah, that would be cool, right? Yeah, okay. Okay, see you later. (laughs) What hurts is they've done this last year. It's just, come on. Didn't you learn from your mistakes? We'll fast forward a little bit. And the last couple people left in the last ring are Regal, Jericho, Jarrett, DDP, Eddie, NWO, and Lex. You can see some of the guys they're pushing a little bit or think will be good. Like, Dean gets eliminated quite late, if I remember. Before you go on, uh, Dave, when they get down to that number, one, they go to the single camera finally. Thank God. Two, they do this awesome visual of DDP. He's in the middle of the ring. The NWO are on one side and all the other WCW guys are on the other. And he's left in the middle. And they oh. kind of look at him for a little bit. And then I can't remember what what starts, but somebody goes over and attacks the NWO or vice versa. And DDP kind of continues on then. But it's he, great... he goes after Eddie. Yeah, he, he someone yeah. someone hits an NWO member and he starts to fight Eddie when that's done, yeah. But it's a really, really cool spot and visual. And it's like really subtly done, but actually does a lot. And it's really cool. Yeah, it only took us, what, 15 minutes to get there? Yeah. Yeah. Ray is also, I think, one of the last people, and he's yeah. pe- he's picked he is, up yeah. by Big Show with one hand and thrown out. And all I have here is poor Ray. Like he's doing so much for the company and putting on so many good matches, and he is just 
manhandled and made look like a child so often by a- anyone else. Spot of the night for me, though. It looked awesome. It made Giant yeah, it look did, like yeah. a million books. It made Giant look yeah. like the strongest man in the world, for sure. That's actually, I think, what finally gets the crowd back into it because they've been pretty dead for a lot of this pay-per-view. Justifiably so, by the way. I, I wouldn't want to particularly cheer for any of this shit going on. But even even if they wanted to cheer, because people have cheered for Hogan and we don't know why. They took breaks at weird times. As I said, even if you got into the into the World War Three, they have this transition with all the people walking to one ring. There's just so many times when you have nothing to watch in this, like, the, the last match is t- 28 minutes it takes this match. And there's so much dead air in it for a live event. I don't know how people are still awake to be applauding the Giant at this stage. So before we go into the closing sequence of the match, finally Scott Hall teases the Outsider's Edge. It's, it's another move that, like, we haven't really seen. It's kind of lame that, like, the Outsiders have both have awesome finishers and they just haven't been featured when they've been around for almost five months. Yeah, they just don't wrestle that much is the problem. And when they do wrestle, it's just screwy finishes. And like even when they beat up people, they don't do their finishers to people either. Which is something I always found very weird. As a kid, I popped so hard when the beatdowns involved a bunch of finishers. Everyone loves seeing wrestlers finishers. That's why they... I mean, that's what's got Stone Cold like mega over. It's just like, all I need to see is Austin do is come in and stun or somebody. Yay, I'm so happy. It's it's literally the only reason Randy Orton is still over. Yeah. Yeah. There's lots of people in history. DDP, just even at this part of history, big reason, mega over, people love his finish. The reason I think they don't do their finishes that much is it's effort to lift someone up. Both of them have power bombs as finishers. And I literally don't think they want to take the effort of lifting another human being up because they could get paid for not lifting someone up. And I genuinely think that's why they don't do it. I probably agree because I saw even like when we get down to one ring, Kevin Nash, he's still just standing there for the most part. He he does not do much. He doesn't give a shit. X-Pac hides behind Kevin Nash, which is really funny. Actually, he just stays behind Kev for the whole thing besides his Bronco Buster. And the final sequence. Regal stays in there very long. He's like the second last WCW guy, right? Probably, yeah, because like DDP yeah, and Eddie go. The whole NWO have to team up on him, yeah. Yeah, yeah. the whole NWO just face him. He's kind of trying to grapple them, and they just all throw him out at the same time, and they all turn, and Lex is the only person left. Lex is the last person. bit predictable, but we didn't know what members of the NWO would be left. And he starts his heroic comeback. Do you want to take us through the comeback, Connor? Yeah, this is probably the best part of the night, maybe? I don't, we'll see. I mean, the crowd is so into it. I think that's what makes it really cool. And they do a nice close-up of Luger. He's, like, visibly, like, worn out as well. NWO also, like, they huddle up for, like, a little strategy, a little football huddle before they start the action. So Giant, he misses a corner splash, and he gets caught on the top turnbuckle, and the crowd goes mental for this as Luger, like, you think that Luger might be able to try and lift him over, but instead he tries to get him in the torture rack. Hall goes for the outsider's edge. Luger back by drops to the outside. So again, we don't get the move still. Luger, awesome grill press slam six to the outside into Hall. And then Luger gets Nash in the rack, drops him to the outside. But Giant times it very beautifully, comes behind, knocks out Luger. And Giant, he is your World War Three winner. Yeah, I think the ending, like as bad as the match is, the sequence, it puts Lex over and it puts Giant over yeah. as well. It also makes them come off as cowardly heels. Because one issue you can have with the NWO is if they come across too strong, no face will ever look strong enough to beat them. But here they look cowardly. And Lex almost took them all out. And you almost feel he's a little unlucky. But at the same time, Giant got to display a lot of strength in the match itself, especially the sick Ray spot. 
So we were complaining earlier on that, you know, Giant isn't being used well and he wasn't getting pushed enough. But this is a nice push. This is a nice honor. This could have easily just been given to, to Nash or easily been given to Hall, who are also very over. But it's I think Giant is probably the correct NWO member to win this match. Yeah, I'm... Also, what what I'd like to point out is um, he has no qualms about doing it. And he kind of shows how, like, the guys have been like, oh, it's all about the money. And it is, it really is all about the money for them. They don't care about their partners all that much at the end of the day. And if it's the choice between me or him that's going to win this, if I have the opportunity, I'll do it. So there's a little bit of a nice bit of follow-up there as a story. Uh, I can't remember how this develops. So I'm hoping for WCW's sake... They start to brew some sort of like distrust of the giant as he's like, well, I'm going to have my title match. And Hogan's like, no, you don't have to. And he's like, well, I am. That's what I'm hoping comes of this because I can't remember it at this stage. So I thought I thought it was really, really well done finish. Like you said, Lex, Lex comes across really well as well. Just a nice continuation of like his push. He continues to like rack, put really big guys into the torture rack as well. Although I do feel a little bad for Kevin Nash because they know that he was on the ground for a while. I'm sure his knees got fucked up after that. His knees were born fucked up, man. I don't think his knees... <laughs> it's why he only ever does half of the jackknife. He can't get down that low. He can't follow you with the powerbomb, man. His quads would explode. His knees would disintegrate. He needs to let you go halfway. As we're talking, his knees are getting injured right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's getting out of a bat and uh, he's, he's hitting the deck. They're just twinging. He's like, whoa, not again. <laughs> I love how uh, Bobby, he's like, Dave, you didn't hear this part. but So Bobby, right after the match ends, he goes, this will go down in the history as the greatest battle royal in the history of this sport. This was the greatest pay-per-view I've seen in my life. Shame on you, Bobby. Shame. <laughs> you what a shill. What a shill. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's a bit cringy for sure. But I I agree with you though. Like it was very obvious, like what the ending was. But sometimes obvious is just all right in wrestling. Like fans, I don't think care if certain things are obvious. I I hate when bookers like will do random things just to like make things not obvious. Like I, it's it's okay to be obvious sometimes. I, we we still like that. If if and... it's the correct thing to do for the story, then it's fine. Right. Yeah. It's it's not the ending is not bad. It's it's mostly to sit through the match. They want 60 people to make it huge. To be honest, WWE just has it right with their 30 people and the way they're introduced. It's impossible to follow this match. And I I love Battle Royales. I think they allow for, you know, gimmicks and spots that you don't see in normal matches and they're inventive. But this was disappointing. I wanted this to be better than it was. Well, after seeing the the 1995, I I had very low expectations. (laughs) That was so bad. At least the ending for this pay-per-view, though, the NWO Celebrate, I was fully expecting Hogan to come out. And thank God he didn't. So yeah. the Outsiders and Giant, they just like pose for a little bit and that's it. That's it, yep. It's that's totally fine. fine. And they still have 15 minutes to spare, too. Yeah, they actually didn't run over or like have a really, really silly promo or anything. <laughs> yeah, at least, at least there's that. At least a very silly promo came in the middle of the card. So when this match was over, we could all just stop watching. So all all in all, I think as a wrestling spectacle, this pay-per-view is not the best. I think they did a decent job of progressing storylines and solidifying titles. I think the early card, as usual, was a lot better than anything that happened in the main events. But all in all, not my favorite. I think at the end, I'm swinging towards NWO side because... 
I don't know. Maybe because there's so much less Hulk Hogan. When Hulk Hogan isn't involved in the NWO, I think it's actually quite enjoyable. And when he is, I'm turned off. So I think after this pay-per-view, I can say I'm kind of NWO side. Connor, did you enjoy the pay-per-view? Any final thoughts on whose side are you on at the end? Well, Dave, yeah, I didn't realize how much more I like the NWO because I actually am on the NWO side, I think for the first time on the podcast. And I think Hogan was a diff- a, definitely a big part. I thought the Outsiders have been more of a central point. Also, I thought Giant looked awesome in this pay-per-view. I just thought the effort given by WCW was pitiful on this pay-per-view. Like, they've had promos week after week, how they'll take action against the NWO. You know, here's your chance to outnumber them. Instead, we make it easy on them and just let them stand around. I hate the whole Piper thing that, like, he's trying to be, like, a representative for WCW, kind of not, but he's he, instead he just, like, trashes WCW instead. Overall, as a pay-per-view, I'd probably give it, like, a six... I mean, Rey Mysterio, match of the night again. Rey Mysterio, man, you're the savior of the podcast. World War Three, just a clusterfuck. At least the ending was miles better than the previous year where Hogan bitched for oh, 10 yeah. minutes after Randy won. Seeing the end of that, that's... It, it's so bad. It's, it's atrocious. Goes same to you. Any thoughts of the pay-per-view overall? And in the end, whose side do you want? I'd probably have to go with it's It's one of the worst ones I've seen. I honestly can't remember how I've been rating these so far. So I might even still rate it above something, but yeah, without that cruiserweight match, it's so rough. And I would, I actually, even with the cruise, I would say like, watch the cruiserweight match and then turn off the pay-per-view. You're not. Is it better than Hot Wild? Because to me, that's our bottom. Yeah, that's. I'm. I'm struggling. I think it's probably still. It's probably better than Hot Wild because the matches are passable in places here, whereas there's some really fucking awful ones in at Hogwiles. So yeah, I'd say it's probably like a 4 or a 5 for me. And who side, like, Connor already said it, like, you can't be on WCW's side. They're so stupid. No wonder Sting is sitting up in the rafters. The one disagreement I would have is that I actually, the more I watch it, the more I enjoy Hogan. I'm actually really enjoying his stuff. Not his wrestling, but his promos and his character is is bang on. And I get why it worked at the start. Like, I understand it so much better now. Yeah, I'm totally NWO for life. Mainly the wolf pack, I suppose, still. <laughs> well, so that's a unanimous decision. You heard it. NWO fans, all, all of us. That's us for another edition of the WCW versus NWO podcast. Look us up on social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, all under WCW versus NWO podcast. From me, Connor and Gus, thanks for listening. And join us next time where we find out if you can rack a giant. The Giant helping him up. The New World Order congratulating each other. There's Lex Luger. Lex is over here. Scott Hall's trying to encourage him back in the ring. And I don't want to hear anybody ever again question the fortitude of the guts of one Lex Luger. No question. He was, like he said, super hot. And and then stood, stood in the ring with the giant, the biggest man in professional sports, draped across his shoulders in that torture rack. And Luger was about to dump him out. Luger could have dumped the giant out. What happens next for the giant, for Hulk Hogan? And what about Rowdy Roddy Piper, his condition? We will answer all those questions tomorrow night live as we come to you from Salisbury, Maryland on WCW Monday Nitro. For Gene Okerlund, Lee Marshall, Larry Zabisco, Mike Tanay, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, and Bobby the Brain Heenan. I'm Tony Schiavone. Have a good night, everybody, from World War III at the Scope in Norfolk, Virginia. My goodness.